Whoa! I don't think I even want to hear your story. All of you must hear the Scarlet Spider story. My name is Ben Riley. I'm related to this reality's Peter Parker. How? I'm his clone. Or maybe he's my clone. We're not sure. I'm the real Spider-Man. I don't know what kind of mind game this is, but I'm the real Spider-Man. The real Peter Parker. You see? I thought I was that clone. I tried to stay out of Peter's life by taking on a new identity. I dyed my hair, changed my name to Ben Riley. When I became a costume hero of the Scarlet Spider, it really made him angry. But the next big blow came from Dr. Kurt Connors. He discovered that, according to our genetic structures, it might be Peter who was the clone, not me. That news pushed Peter Parker over the edge. Now he hated me with a passion. This is starting to sound like a bad comic book plot. It gets worse. Why didn't you just tell me I was a clone? The cloning process has proven unstable. You're coming apart. I am Zach Twitter, friendly neighborhood host of the show, and uh, before we get started with episode 38, I got some bits of business I want to get handled before we get this episode in the can and out to you guys. First things first, we got a voicemail, and I kind of have to address this because it's uh, been a problem for some to download the show, and I'm going to let him tell you his bit of an issue. Hey, it's Seth Polsack Chronicles. This is Rich. I'm from uh, Rochester, Minnesota. And uh, I've kind of had an ongoing problem with your guys' show since, like, October or so. Uh, I don't know what you guys uh, upload the, the feed onto to for the MP3, but I have, like, a Gen 1 Droid X, and for some reason it only plays your show for, like, up to eight, nine minutes at a time, and it keeps coming back to your home screen, and I have to keep re-downloading and finding where I was before, and that's pretty big friggin' hassle. I'm not sure if there's anything you can do about it. I don't know if it's just my phone or if I'm going to have to, like, listen to you guys strictly from a laptop. I don't have iTunes, but I kind of like listening to you guys on the go or if I'm at the gym or something. But it sucks when I can only listen in, like, five to ten minute bursts. I don't know if there's anything you can do. Sorry, your first voicemail forever is about technical difficulties, but uh, I guess on the lighter side, it's awesome to find that there is a podcast that covers Clone Saga. I'm a huge fan of Ben Riley. I'm actually getting a, a tattoo on my back left calf of Ben Riley's Spider-Man symbol, but that's beside the point. Now, anyways, keep up the good work, and I'll try my best to keep listening. Hopefully, something can be done about this. But until then, you stay easy, guys. All right. Um, first of all, I'm sorry you're having problems listening to the show. I'm hoping you're hearing this part of the show on your phone. Um, okay, two things I'm going to recommend. Um one, download a app called Podcast Addict. If you haven't, um, that's probably what I've found to be one of the best for Android. Um, secondly, it may be something on our end. There have been several episodes, and it's we fixed this, I think, last couple episodes we've posted. But uh, some of the episodes that I've posted since October have had a low uh, project rate. And... 
we've got to go back and fix all those. So I've been having to go in and try to get those fixed. Uh, I will tell you that um, as soon as I get them fixed, I will let everybody know. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing thing, so um, if you're having problems, just bear with us. Uh, you're the first one to actually have this problem, it seems like, um, since we've started the show. Uh, so I, I, I hate you having to have a voicemail, uh, send us a voicemail to have this occur. So hopefully if you download that app, and, and maybe that'll help you um, with the show. Because I use that to listen to all my podcasts, whether it be Batgirl or Oracle, uh, Spider-Man Crawl Space, Clone Saga Chronicles, Spectacular Radio, and the upcoming Mayday Mondays podcast. So, um, yeah, just uh, just bear with us, and uh, and we'll try to get that fixed. Uh, email us back at clonesagachronicles at gmail.com. Speaking of emails, we do have some emails that uh, have been sent to us, and one of which, it, it's been a little while since we've gotten it. And I need to probably read this because, well, um, he's been patient. He sent us several emails, and <laughs> we just haven't had the uh, gang together in a while, the regular gang. Okay, so uh, Alex is the one that uh, sent us the email. And so I'll read this through. through the, I'm going to read through it, and I'm going to answer his questions, uh, take a few minutes. Uh, appreciate Alex for, for writing in. We really do. Um, so sorry that we couldn't have the whole gang here to uh, to answer this, but it's been a, it's been a little while. So this is in response to our uh, cyber war episode, which was about two episodes ago. Um, so appreciate that. All right, dear the CS, dear the CSC crew. Okay, just dear CSC crew is fine. Uh, in big capital letters, he writes, "Hallelujah, you made it past the worst stuff in the Clone Saga, and we're finally getting into the good stuff." Sure, there are misfires in Ben's run as Spider-Man, but nothing, nothing like the Scarlet Spider titles or Maximum Clonage. While it goes without saying, you guys pretty much nailed Cyber War like you nailed Virtual Mortality and Scarlet Spider Unlimited. I think in terms of sheer entertainment value and actual execution, they're easily the low point of the Clone Saga and possibly Spider-Man generally. When I first got the when I got the first Ben Riley trade, I'd heard that these were going to be bad, and after suffering through most of the fourth and fifth volumes of the, the Clone Saga trades, I was so desperate to get to Ben as Spider-Man that I decided to literally read the entire trade in one day. Apart from Parker Years, the Green Goblin issue, and Jurgen stuff, the whole seemed to thing, the whole thing, seemed to pass in a blur, and I sort of felt numb afterwards. Until you guys covered the Scroll of Spider stuff, I'd honestly forgotten what the hell happened in these. For a while, I was so out of it, I even thought that Carrie Bradley was Joystick's secret identity for some reason. Well, considering her inconsistent hair color, that's not surprising. Thanks. So thanks for giving me for a few laughs, as well as bringing back some painful memories. This being said, I have to agree with Bertoni that the trial of Peter Parker and Maximum Clonage were overall worse, just because they were offensive and soul-draining. I seriously had to stop reading the Clone Saga after that fourth trade. And then, Volume 5 started up with a Terry Kavanaugh lizard story and more new warriors. Joy. We'll cover that lizard story when uh, that particular version of the lizard comes back in the Ben Riley era. I'm a little more, than for, a little more forgiving than most writers of the Scarlet Spider books than you guys come across, mainly because they've been put through the ringer by the time Grace responsibility and were then forced to essentially pull two months worth of stories out of thin air at the last minute. Under those circumstances, no one was going to do their best work, even the great Mark Bagley slipped in quality a bit, and I think under, that most of the creators have even stated that the Scarlet Spider months do suck. He, Alex had never realized 
the Mortal Kombat comparison to the great game until we promoted, we pointed it out. Up until now, he had been comparing it to pro wrestling. I don't know if you count them, but I, he wanted to throw in Felicia and Poison to your list of Ben Riley love interests. Despite only having one issue each, they were still treated as potential love interests in these stories. I actually didn't notice how many, just how many girlfriends Ben had until you guys counted them up. I suppose that the writers wasting no time with their desire for a hip, young, single Spider-Man. Although, for my money, only a few of those female characters stood out. Now, we'll cover, um, for those that are following along and haven't read ahead in the Clone Saga trades, uh, Felicia and Poison are in the first month of The Return of Spider-Man, so we will actually cover those two extensively and talk a little bit more about that. Uh, we're gonna, a couple episodes down. Um, don't know if you count... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that I have to disagree with Don and Josh about how Phil and his 90s Goblin series could become the very guy that we see as the Hobgoblin in big time. Personally, I saw Phil as a good but flawed guy, but not an actual crazy serial killer. And to answer something you guys were wondering about, I think that the Goblin series stated that Phil York was about 19 years old. Now, Alex agrees with me that its inclusion in the Ben Riley epic trades, and FYI, he uh, tells us that it was also in the Green Goblin, a lighter shade of green trade as well, breaks up the flow of Cyber War, but personally, it was a very welcome change. If I could add my two cents into the discussion about who would win in a fight, Ben or Kane. For the record, he likes Kane more, and he'd like to say that Kane as the Scarlet Spider could, but he liked to say that Kane as the Scarlet Spider could take Ben in a fight. Kane routinely curb stomped Ben in the <laughs> in the Clone Saga due to his superior strength, speed, and more brutal fighting style, which had been honed due to his work as a mercenary. Kane's skills were even sufficient that he could defeat Peter, who had way more combat experience than Ben. Additionally, the whole time that happened, Kane was also being distracted by constant pain from clone regeneration. So if Bane, er, Bane, if if Ben had really con- defeated Kane, then it would have happened either during the clone saga proper, or their frequent encounters during Ben's five years on the road. Okay. Yes. Um, Kane was just dis- you know shown to beat Ben for storytelling purposes. I think. The psychological aspect with Kane and trying to live up to Ben Riley's name—that's what really would affect it in a fight. If it's pure strength on strength, I think yeah, you're right. But I think psychologically, I think that's pro- probably where Ben would win. As the new Scarlet Spider, Kane has even more combat experience and isn't, and isn't being held back by his clone generation. Still has greater strength and speed than Ben. Can turn invisible with his suit. Yes, he can. And, and it has additional powers like stingers and enhanced vision. Also, he can talk to insects. <laughs> all in all, unless Ben gets lucky or uses some kind of special plot device, I can't see him taking down Kane in a fair fight, despite how much I th- he, that he, Alex, would love to read that. He says he asks if it's cool that he's got a few questions he'd like to ask. Sure, ask away. Will you be covering the issue? any more issues of the Philly York Green Goblin series. I was one issue as it was one issue tying into the onslaught event, which Peter and Ben were involved with, and another involving Gaunt. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, since this was in the trade, uh, that's why I wanted to cover it because there's a lot of people that are listening to the show reading the trades. Um, I won't rule it out, but I would say that probably not. Uh, do you guys know how the heck Mark of Cain power works? Okay, um, and you kind of went in this lengthy explanation as to what you thought. Uh, here's what I think. The Mark of Cain works as a both 
branding. It, it's more of a branding because you, if if you notice, some of the artists draw, you know, various scars that are on his containment suit on his hand when they do it. It's like a burning, and it's like him placing the hand, like Peter would place his hand on a wall. It would be like placing that same hand on somebody's face and not only burning that into the face, but also ripping the skin. It's like a, it is a deformed part of the adhesive power and wall crawling power. So, uh, you kind of tried to ask me that question or tried to explain it that way. And that's, that's how I've always looked at it. Uh, will you guys cover the one shot ever published around Spider Island? Um, you know, if we cover that one shot, um, it was called The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man, and it was um, one shot that starred um, the Jackal and had Kane as the big giant mutated spider and the bit of the queen. It also had the carrion stuff. And when we cover the carrion stuff, I think we might cover that in an episode. Honestly, um, we're trying really hard to get through the clone saga proper and so once we get through the modern scarlet spider series we're going to be kind of scrambling to get things you know wrapping things up um i'll just say this if we cover it it probably will be its own episode because of the failure that is that that particular one shot um Question number four, I think you guys said before that part of the reason Kane's Girl Spider book declined was Superior Spider-Man having a similar concept, but apart from the amoral Spider-Man running around in black and red, how similar do you guys think the books really are? I'll be honest with you, um, I want to cover that particular discussion in uh, a couple of episodes down the road. Um, we uh, will have The Return of Spider-Man. Um, as the next couple in, in a couple episodes down the road, I think that's episode 39. Um, and episode 40 will be sibling rivalry slash media blizzard. So, um, I think we'll cover that extensively during the sibling rivalry discussion. Um, but that's all his questions. So, uh, thank you, Alex, for writing in. If you want to write another email and uh, have a lengthy diatribe like I just had, um, feel free to send us an email at clonesoccerchronicles at gmail.com. Alex, I know you sent us another email. Uh, we will cover that when we have the gang together again for uh, the next episode of CSC. So, um, and it probably won't be during the commentaries episode. Anyway, um, now I'm getting to our regularly scheduled program. For Now we've covered some budget Clone Saga stuff here on Clone Saga Chronicles. Now we're going to completely shift gears. And um, yesterday, as in Memorial Day, as in Monday the 26th, uh, Gerard Delatour released Mayday Monday's pilot. Well, this is kind of the Clone Saga Chronicles discussion of Mayday and Aranya as evidenced by the graphic. Uh, we have Kevin and Stella on for this episode, so uh, very excited to have it on. So a completely different and offbeat episode, and we will see you at the end of the episode to talk a little bit more about what's coming up next here on Clone Saga Chronicles, the podcast. So without further ado, let's get to the main part of the show. 
Welcome back, Clone fans. I am Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood host of the Clone Soccer Chronicles podcast. And this episode, I, it's a very special episode. And I am joined by two very special people. The first of which, uh, you heard him back on episode 19 of, of this show, and I'm really happy that he's back to, to have this discussion with me, Mr. Kevin Cushing. Kevin? Hello there. Uh, thanks for having me back, man. It's definitely been too long, but uh, I appreciate you being open to bringing me back and uh, and actually being open to an idea that I brought you. Yeah, yeah. This, this whole episode is Kevin's uh, genius evil plan. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we... It's going to be a debate. Now, let, let me explain. If you've most of you people that have listened to the show are fans of Crawl Space, but to take you back down memory lane, back in 2008, Kevin and I had a great debate, which I thoroughly got my butt handed to me on. <laughs> it was a debate about Spider Girl, and back then Kevin hadn't read Spider Girl, or he read a few I had issues. Read some. Um, and to be to be clear to anybody that listened to that original debate, my position in the debate was against. You know, we were very much doing a for and against. Mayday Spider Girl, and um, so I fought hard for my position as I do in a debate. But as you know, I want to want to be clear that that doesn't mean I hate <laughs> Mayday. I, uh, not everything I said necessarily reflects my opinion. And uh, you, your stance on the title certainly was reflected in some of your reviews on Crawl Space, especially when you were doing like Amazing Spider-Man family reviews. Uh, you always were favorable of the title too. So I mean, I mean, you liked the title. It just you you were debating me, and you were yeah. I've never had know. the love for it that uh, that you and you know people like Gerard do. I'm not the hardcore fan, but I definitely you know right. enjoyed some of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it had its ups and downs, like any like any any era or run, it does. Mm-hmm. But that particular debate, we had Brad Douglas as our moderator because he was the host of the show. But Kevin and I were brainstorming, and Kevin threw out a name that was just so perfect because, well, she's never been on the show, and I'm so happy that she's here. I would like to, for the first time on Clone Saga Chronicles, Miss Stella, yeah, aka Spider Girl. Yes, uh, it's <laughs> nice to be here. Yes, uh, so we have Spider Girl moderating a debate on Spider Girl. I think the symmetry there is just, just too perfect. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you just got to lean into the obvious. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, if you've, I'm sure, Crawl Space fans remember Stella mm-hmm. from from her time on Crawl Space, but she's also a, a prolific podcaster herself with Batgirl to Oracle. And if you uh, want to check that out, definitely do that because it's a good show. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, thanks for the pimp there. Checks in the mail. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I wasn't expecting a check. I just was doing that out of the goodness of my heart. Oh, I you took appreciate some time, it. Uh, you, did, you took some time out of your busy schedule to, to come hang out with me and Kevin. So Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, meeting of the minds. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you guys had a debate, but you decided, you know, it's not over. You know, it's not yeah. over. And, and, you know, how can we further go into this? And, and I think that's just great that you're doing this one topic and really exploring all angles for it. So I love that about it. So thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited on here and just the trust given to me <laughs> to be the <laughs> moderator and, and slam my hammer down when I say it's enough. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's going to bring the hammer down. <laughs> don't know why I went to Schwarzenegger there. I don't know. One Whatever. Of- yeah, right. Serendipitous. Um, so I'm going to kind of turn it over, a little bit over to Stella, but uh, we're going to give some opening statements. Well, and then Zach, would, would you like to, or me, tell the folks what this debate's going to be about? Yes, yes. Let's let's talk about the debate. Yeah, that'd be a good thing. Right? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, yeah, sure, I will. Um, so our last great debate that Zach talked about was uh, in favor of and against Spider-Girl, Mayday Parker, the future Spider-Girl, and since then, uh, we have gotten a new Spider-Girl, Anya Corazon, the previous 
Aranya. So I know a lot of the Mayday fans had a very, very, very negative reaction. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, Look so I... I thought it would be interesting, uh, especially with you know my my friend the Mayday fan, to further the debate, uh, take this debate on the new Spider Girl, um, and we're gonna flip the for and against positions this time. I am for and Zach is against, uh, and just you know see what we can see what we can discover. Yeah, yeah, and because he's the challenger, I am going to let him have his opening statement. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I'm, I'm not right. going either way. Okay. Stella, you have anything you want to you want to say first? Let's make it a clean fight, folks. <laughs> let's, let's not have any hitting below the belt. I expect this to be pretty intense. And uh, don't let your listeners down, and don't let me down. Oh. Don't let you down. Yeah, well, that that's a high expectation. No, just, yeah, I mean, of course, be respectful and, you know, let everyone have their due. And I think it's going to be good. So, yeah, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> okay, Kevin, you're on. All right. Um, so, again, I'm taking the position of in favor of Anya Corazon as the new Spider-Girl. Um, now, I'm going to start from the very beginning of the reason that I know uh, the opponents have had a big problem with it, and that is giving her the name shortly after Mayday's title was canceled. Now, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, uh, you really have to stop looking at that Spider-Girl series as having been canceled and start looking at it as something that was generously stretched out far beyond the time that the sales uh, merited. Unfortunately, it was a good title. You know, people enjoyed it. I totally understand the fandom, but at a certain point, you have to say that title wasn't selling, and it wasn't. So Marvel saw something they could do uh, with the name Spider Girl that was different. I I have no idea. I don't pretend to know what went on in the offices. Whether the creation of this Spider Girl has anything to do with the cancellation of the old book, I won't pretend to say either way. Um, but I'm here to say that I am fine with the idea. And there's a lot of reasons for it. One of them is because it really enriches the Spider-Man line to have this teenage female superhero. And it's important to have the Spider branding. Yes, she existed before, but her name was Aranya, which, sure, people that know their Spanish know that means spider, and that's sort of a branding. Um, but even within the title, she mentions that, man, people used to mispronounce that all the time. It is important to have her name be Spider-Girl to make her a solid part of this line. Otherwise, she was always just this outlier before. Um, and really, she was an outlier that didn't sell well. So it was a character that clearly people in the Marvel offices liked and wanted to do more with, um, but it wasn't selling very well the way it was. But here's the thing. They first decided to bring her into the Grim Hunt storyline as Aranya before she switched to Spider-Girl, and she actually did pretty well in that storyline. I enjoyed her. Um, it was the first I had really read her. I'd tried the Aranya title before but didn't, didn't think much of it. Um, but the response to her was pretty good. So it kind of showed that there were people that could like this character that weren't seeking her out as Aranya. But when she was in a Spider-Man book, 
they were fine with it. So, again, rebranding as Spider-Girl became important and really bolsters the line and diversifies it in a way that these other dudes just can't. You've got plenty of spider characters these days, but you've got, I mean, you're looking at Scarlet Spider, Kane, um, you know, Angry Spider-Guy, Angry Spider-Guy oh. Venom. Um, you've got now Spider-Man 2099, who I will not hear a bad word against. Love me some Spider-Man 2099. But it's yet another <laughs> dude in the line, you know? Um, the line is full of dudes. You can tell me there's a Spider-Woman all you want, but nobody has ever really considered uh, Jessica Drew to be a part of Spider-Man's family of titles. She is, for better or worse, her own separate thing. Um, and unfortunately, she doesn't even have a book right now. So... It became important, in my opinion, to have the Spider-Girl. Now, uh, I said representation before and diversity. Uh, another good thing about the character is that she is a young Mexican hero. And, you know, I don't want to make the whole thing about race. I think it is uh, the hallmark of a bad argument when you accuse the person in opposition of being racist just because they don't like one character of a certain race. So I'm not going to say anybody's racist because they don't like Anya. That's, that, that would be a very weak argument on my part. But we have to look at the importance of representation in comic books. And we're seeing a lot of that today, uh, especially with the recent Miss Marvel, uh, the new Miss Marvel creation. She has created a sensation very quickly because people just didn't see this kind of a hero represented in comics before. Uh, you have uh, a Muslim hero for young girls to look up to, and that is new. And here we have a Mexican hero for young girls to look up to. Yes, there are a few Mexican heroes in comic books, but they're only a handful. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Latino-Hispanic superheroes. One of the first ones that comes to my mind is Vibe, and that's not really a good thing for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about my Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think we can agree that it would be nice to have a little bit more diversity in that side. Um, so, and that's another way she brings something, something new, something fresh, something worthwhile into the Spider-Man family of heroes. Um, also, uh, you could say, I know an argument is, well, uh, Mayday brings the female superhero, the teenage female superhero into the Spider-Man family. The problem with her is that she is not in the same world, the same time with Spider-Man. She can't connect with the other characters. She can't participate in the events. She can't be a part of the world. She can't share the same villains, which is one of the good things they did with Anya and having her fight some of the new young villains, like the young Craven, uh, the young Hobgoblin. It's a very good thing to do with her. Um, and yes, you could say you can move Mayday back in time, but it wouldn't be the same. She would be the daughter of Spider-Man out of time, which is completely antithetical to the idea of your regular teenage girl trying to be a superhero. Daughter of Spider-Man out of time is not a regular teenage girl, period. So that just doesn't work as an idea. So again, in my opinion, Anya fills uh, a very interesting, valuable place in the Spider-Man family that Mayday just can't. She also has uh, a very interesting tack where she has mentorship connections uh, with a lot of the older heroes. Spider-Man, obviously, and I personally think that there should have been a much stronger presence from Spider-Man as a mentor in her title. Um, but also, thankfully, 
Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is just the perfect writer for it, picked up the Spider-Girl character in her recent Avengers Assemble run and connected her with several of the Avengers, um, like Spider-Woman, like Black Widow, like Captain America, Wolverine, Iron Man, uh, in, in sort of a mentorship role. So that gives her this window to sort of the whole Marvel Universe um, that is fairly unique, and it's a really, really good... Uh, again, place in the Marvel Universe that wasn't there before. So uh, there are other things I could say. I will save those for the back-and-forth debate. I think I've droned on long enough by myself, but uh, but that is my position. I think that Spider-Girl serves a very uh, useful purpose in the Marvel Universe, and she fills an interesting and fresh role in the Spider-Man lineup uh, that definitely has value. Okay, Zach, <laughs> your response. All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Because because I was intrinsically involved with Mayday Parker. And back in 2000, 2007, uh, was the tail end of, of Spider-Girl's run. We were, we're talking about the era of which Spider-Girl was, first volume was ending, and we were beginning The Amazing Spider-Girl. Now, part of the reason that that, that occurred was by a rabid fan base. Now, going back further, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong on the year, Kevin. Spider-Girl, uh, excuse me, Aranya first appeared in what, 2004? Sounds right, I believe so. Okay, 2004. So we're, okay, we'll go back even a little bit further. Mayday Parker was established in 98. From 98 to 2004, there was no other female, okay, let me rephrase that. There was one other female character that was Spider-Girl-ish. You had the young Spider-Woman, Maddie Franklin. Now, you talk about the mentorship at role, um, Kevin, and I, I, I would say to you that we had, they tried to do this with the reboot, with John Byrne came in, he rebooted the Spider titles, they brought in Maddie Franklin as a female um, character, ended up making out with Spider-Man after Mary Jane had died, really bad story. Uh, I'm sorry I'm bringing back bad, painful memories to Spider-Fans. I'm I'm writing bile in the back of my throat. (laughs) Yeah, um, so you had had this character, young, young female, they didn't really do much with her. She had her own title. It lasted for, for quite a... I mean, I think 18 to 24 issues, I think, was the... Was it that long? Uh, I think it lasted about 18 issues. Wow. She had, like, 17 different costume changes from the beginning to the end, but um, the character was, was around for a while, and they didn't really do anything with her. And then editor-in-chief changes. We have Joe Casada come in, um, Bob Harris is out, Joe Casada's in, and 2004, they introduce Aranya, and they wanted to call her Spider-Girl, but the internet raged. As it does, <laughs> as it's often to, off to do, it raged, and no bigger place did it rage more than the Spider Girl message board on comic boards, Alvaro's comic boards. And this was a community of Spider Girl fans that were hardcore. I mean, they were they were the ones that led the letter writing campaigns. They're the ones that that led a campaign to to post ads, fan made ads. To they would mail it to uh, comic retailers all around the country. And they would say, hey, would you do us a favor and promote this book that Marvel's not promoting and this is, this is what we're trying to do? And would you put the sign up in your, in, your, in your window just for us? And it was marginally successful. I mean, they, they, they did see a bump in readership. Um, part of the problem that you have is generally with the direct market is that female titles don't generally sell well in the direct market. It seems like they sell better in the non-direct market. But we only have a certain level of numbers that we see. And even those are disputed depending on whether or not the person that's disputing them is looking is it's in their favor or not. <laughs> um, but you have that situ- you know, you have that scenario. But with Aranya 
there was an instant dislike with with Mayday fans because Mayday was still being published. It was still ongoing. And they kind of felt like a little bit of a slap to the face because here is a here's a character who is very diverse and very ethnic and very unique and something different. And she was introduced in Amazing Fantasy, the uh they brought back the anthology series. And so they were they were doing this pretty heavily promoted push. Well, while they're promoting this character, it seemed like and it felt like by and it may not have been intentional, but by the Spider Girl fans, Mayday fans, that this character was being elevated at the expense of this fantastic character, very well rounded, very well established character in Mayday Parker, who had had a title that had been going on for several years at this point. It wasn't being promoted, but because this is new, shiny, and, and it's like a new car, this old car was shunted off to the side. Now, some will say, and you even brought this up in the original debate, and I'm going to bring this bring this back, the, the writing style with Tom DeFalco. There has been some people that are fans of Spider-Girl that have speculated that if it had been anybody else other than Tom DeFalco writing Spider-Girl 1, it wouldn't have been the same. But at the same time, it could have been more well-promoted. Because there's only one issue of Spy- that dealt with Spider-Girl and Spider-Girl's run of over 135-some-odd issues that wasn't written by Tom DeFalco, issue 50, 51. Now, to DeFalco's credit, Aranya was introduced in the MC2 universe as an older character and had a um, background was in the background for much of the time from I would say pulling this out of my rear end issue ninety of Spider Girl all the way through the Amazing Spider Girl run. So those two characters did interact. We did see them a lot. Um, my biggest problem with calling her Spider Girl in the six one six. Let's be clear. She is the first, to my knowledge, the first Spider Girl in six one six. There's been Spider-Woman, but not Spider-Girl. So, in that regard, she is a blazing a brand new trail that had not been previously blazed before. The Grim Hunt storyline, you bring that up. It seemed like, and cause for for some, one of the one of the problems with Spider-Girl is it seemed like it was it was Joe Quesada's, quote, pet character, because he had a heavy influence in, in the creation of the character. And, again, that kind of goes back to the whole being, whole Mayday Parker being kind of forgotten about while they were promoting this new character. and But with the Grim Hunt storyline, they seemed to clear the decks. It seemed like one of the functions of that story was to sort of clear the decks. You had Maddie Franklin die in that story, and you have Aranya being elevated, which is nice, because, I mean, she's in the 616. And you have this, you have Madam Web be, be killed in that story as well. Then you have Julia Carpenter become Madam Web, and then the costume of Julia Carpenter's becomes... Um, Anya's Anya's uh, costume. So you have <laughs> uh, Mayday Parker that's been de-elevated to some. You have Madam uh, Maddie Franklin being de-elevated. You have Julie Carpenter being stripped of an stripped of an identity that was hers since the '80s, and the costume essentially that's been hers since the '80s to put on this new on this character that's fairly new that they're trying to already elevate, and some of the uniqueness of her as Spider-Girl is gone because she's no longer Aranya. So my issue is not she's not a bad character. It just seems like that they've gone out of their way to try to promote this character when there are other characters that they could have easily promoted, such as Maddie Franklin or, or you know, you, you could have even easily made Maddie Franklin Spider-Girl even before that. So the teenage sidekick superhero they've tried to do before and it didn't really work out that well with Maddie Franklin and it 
seemed to me is as good as, as as her title was with the big time launch that it just didn't work with that as well. I would argue uh, with a lot of of your points about the Grim Hunt and mm-hmm. what that did. I think it's hard to use the word de elevate with Maddie Franklin. Let's okay. let's face it, the way you talked about her <laughs> uh, at, at the beginning of your opening statement uh, is is how many people feel about her, and it's it's a cringe. The reaction to Maddie mm-hmm. Franklin's very name among Spider fans is a cringe. Um, and the only time I remember her being used before the Grim Hunt in the past many years was when she was. Uh, being used to make drugs in Alias? <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, can you name yeah. any other times? Uh, no. I, I mean, she she was in limbo for a while. Yeah, because and I she... I mean, you want to talk about a bad reaction immediately. I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, you have her uh, making out with Peter Parker while Mary Jane is dead, quote-unquote. Um, yeah, the, like the corpse hasn't even gotten cold yet, and she's making out with her. Yeah, so we can't really say de-elevate with Maddie Franklin. You know, Anya uh, becoming Spider-Girl didn't really rob Maddie Franklin of something that she was going to have. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> okay. of anybody that cried over her death. John Byrne. Yeah. You talk about Julia Carpenter and her losing this identity she's had since the 80s. Well, two things about that. One, Julia Carpenter had not been doing anything for years. Do you remember... The last thing she did? Um, she was running around with, uh, what did she run around with the New Warriors? Omega Flight, I think. Oh, yeah, Omega, Omega Flight. Flight That's and right. she didn't even yeah. have a name. She, didn't, she wasn't even called Spider-Woman anymore. So That's right, because because Bendis had brought back Jessica Drew. So she had she already was lost back. her name, and she was in Canada. <laughs> um, Our Canadian listeners are going to love that. <laughs> I, I love you Canadians. I really do, but it's too it's too easy. So, yes, her costume ends up going over here, but the other thing that you're ignoring is that she gets into a story for once, and she becomes Madam Webb, which is an actual name that people know. If you want to talk about you know sacrificing somebody, yeah, Madam Webb ended up getting killed. But again... Yes. A crusty old woman hadn't been doing much for a while. True. So but, you're, but yeah, you stick clear the decks. To... There was, I'd say, more of a rearranging of the deck chairs. But okay, Madam Web, the Madam Web that we knew. And I, I granted, most of my exposure to Madam Web is from a '90s show. Exactly. So, uh, but I, I will say this: that Madam Web, her function was greater than Julia Carpenter, Madam Web, saying "You're going to die." <laughs> And then, like, being really cryptic and annoying, and it's one of my least favorite parts of the big-time run. Well, are we going to say that the original Madam Web was not cryptic and annoying? Yeah, but she had a charm. She was an old woman. You kind of, you know, you kind of like, oh, shucks, she's an old woman. I don't she's... think she had charm. <laughs> I disagree with you on that point. I, for okay. me, if you're going to say uh, that there's a lack of... You know, there's an enrichment that came from Madam Web that we don't have anymore. I really don't think Madam Web was doing anything that Julia Carpenter's not doing. And Julia Carpenter has at least appeared. Madam Web was getting used by maybe one niche writer every ten years. Well, and, and she she, well, she did serve a very big role with the reboot and stuff like that, too. So I, I, as much as I hate so, to bring all but, that stuff up. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's all kind of off topic. Um you, you did. You brought up that they could have made Maddie Spider Girl years ago. Would you, for some reason, have liked that better? Well, I mean, it was around the same time. Um, I, I, I personally, I didn't really get into. I mean, I I read the opening issues of Spider Girl, but then I lost my ability to get Spider Girl at the time. So I had a big gap, and then came back into Spider Girl later. So if it had been during that gap, I suppose I wouldn't have been morally outraged, <laughs> and I. Um, just being but, full disclosure. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, 
I mean, around the same time, that's when the reboot was occurring, and, and you had Spider Girl, you know, off off in its own little world, um, literally. It was. I think my biggest issue with Aranya was that it was. I was so turned off by how they were just endlessly promoting this book, endlessly promoting this character, to the detriment of Mayday Parker, who was. To me, it was. It was. It was the one because this is pre JMS that I'm talking here, right around the time JMS came in. So there, were, I mean, we were starved for good material, and we had a good book with Spider Girl. That here's this book that you know, longtime fans even and girls were enjoying, and and I would even say that when it went to the digest format, that was even better because it got the book into more hands. And well, to be was, fair, the uh, Aranya series was put into digest as well. That's true. Uh, I did forget. I, I, I forgot about that. But um, it wasn't a part of that original Marvel Age launch, like like Spider Girl was. I think because of the success with Spider Girl, I think that's what made them okay. We can put we can put this the Aranya series in in digest form and, and sure. And I'm not I'm not you know trying to take anything away from the Mayday Spider Girl series. Um, not saying she didn't blaze the trails. Um, but I, th- I think you have to allow it to evolve. I think um, I know as well as anybody what it's like to hold on to a book for dear life because we love it. Um, but how many issues of Spider Girl did you just say there were? There was of uh, the original series. There was a hundred. Uh, amazing. Amazing was uh, thirty. And then spectacular. Spectacular was four, and then there was the uh, originally the digital only back before digital was digital. Um, but they were they were collected in Amazing Spider-Man Family mm-hmm. and uh, Web of Spider-Man. So that's a lot of issues. We're talking uh, over a hundred and thirty issues. And and when we're talking about over a hundred and thirty issues, we're not just talking about for a female hero. We're talking about over a hundred and thirty issues for this hero who is living in a continuity that is born out of a retcon of something that happened in the nineties. The whole continuity of Spider Girl of Mayday came from what if the baby had lived in the clone saga in the 90s? I just gotta say, we are now in 2014. It becomes harder and harder and harder and harder as the years go by since that clone saga to sell this book to new readers, to explain to them what the hell it is, to explain to them what this history is we're referring to, where this takes place, who these people are. You know, you didn't have to explain this alternate Kane and what's going on there now that we've got Kane back... Uh, in the regular universe, uh, there's this whole, yes, there is a world around her. It is a remarkably dense world that mm. even I, when I was trying to get into some later Spider-Girl stuff sometimes, would be confused by who the hell some of these people were. Dark <laughs> Devil took me a long, long time to figure out. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, and to be fair, and, and I, if I may, I'll go into a little bit of the history for a second just to kind of catch people up. Spider-Girl was established as a it was a what if issue that Bob Harris decided. You know what? Can you do more with this? From this okay, one, what if issue? I I don't want to interrupt you too much, but I'm pretty sure we're on a Spider Girl show right now, right? So I think they right. Well, yeah, I agree. <laughs> the basic I mean, premise. It's... My point is not that we need to sell it to the people right now. My point is this is a very what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's a very singular concept that comes out of a a singular time in history and that history is now almost 20 years old um, and more and more you're getting people that just wouldn't know what the hell you're talking about 
Um, and I'm not saying it's impossible to sell to people. I'm not, because it isn't. But that is a much, 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 much harder sell than, hey, here's a young girl in the present who is, who's got spider powers and she calls herself Spider Girl. We're done. That's the explanation. Uh, you, you, yeah. you see other people pop into her comic book. They're people that you can, you know, see in the rest of the Marvel Universe. You don't have to go look at a guidebook from 20 years ago to figure out the alternate history of this person. It's, it is a much easier book to sell, which I would say is probably part of why you saw them selling it more. Um, also, you, you're talking about the detriment of Mayday. It's hard to argue detriment when she got 135 issues out of that concept. We're, we're looking at... You know, the, the, this Spider-Girl series got eight issues, bro. It got canceled after eight issues. Not 135, eight. Okay. Uh, and fair enough. I agree with that. And... The the market definitely was different from when it start when Spider the original Spider Girl started to the when to 2010 when the I think the other problem was it seemed like every time it was done as in they were going to cancel Spider Girl and it was done they weren't gonna, they were clearing that deck it seemed like that corpse wasn't even cold yet and they were like oh we're throwing this this name this moniker on this other character it it. It, Spider, I mean, Spectacular Spider-Girl wasn't even done as a title, which was originally, if you remember, it was solicited as a ongoing series from issue one, and then suddenly, two months later, it says, oh, it's a miniseries. And not even the writers and artists themselves knew that it was a miniseries. And they had to write basically a, a, um, an addendum issue to kind of wrap all the storyline up. So it seemed like every time we turned around as Spider-Girl fans, as Mayday fans, it, the corpse wasn't even dead yet, and they're slapping this name on this other character. Not, and look, I've read the eight issues of, of Spider-Girl. I have. And I went and, I went and got them, and, and I've read them. So I, I'm, I'm not unfamiliar with that title. I thought Gerard's that it was... Kill you. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, well, I, I can't have a debate about Aranya. I know. I would and, have not, and not come into it. Had, had you not. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I got to read this book. And I, you know, I went back and I tried to do some of my research. And, and I thought there were certain things about the character that were unique. I like that you talk about the diversity of the character. You know, Mayday Parker is a white girl from Queens with white parents. And yeah, just like every other white cracker character okay love that character but anya is a different breed she's a she's she's a different type of character there's there's a different history with that whereas mayday parker is intrinsically intertwined with mary jane and peter parker there's not that in intertwinement is that a word it is now with it is what it is now uh with peter parker on with anya so i i get and and look we, we had we had a similar debate i remember with with Miles Morales, and and that was a huge oh my goodness the internet cracked in half. We're gonna make Spider Man black, <laughs> but that to me is not a detriment to it to the character. Unlike what some people said about Miles, because certainly my, the, I mean I wasn't ter- I mean Kevin you remember I wasn't I wasn't terribly excited about the new Ultimate Spider Man, and then I was I was like dude I, I I'll raise my hand I'm proven wrong. It wasn't just a stunt. It was. It was. There was a lot of thought and a lot of effort put into it. And that's the thing. Is, is there was. I, I think part of my my issue with with Aranya, and I go back to this. I was a part of those letter writing campaigns that was trying to promote Spider Girl. They went so far the, the Spider Girl message board as to buy an ad in previews to spend money out of their own pocket. To which Tom DeFalco was just mortified. By the way. Mm. By the way. 
to buy an ad in previews to promote that title. That was just that was how diehard Sp- Spider Girl honestly was was a product of a, a fan base that was so fatigued with the reboot and with the terrible storytelling and finding out that the plan originally all along was to bring back the baby and then to have that rug yanked out under from under you to have Aunt May, that horrible, oh, you horrible creature, show up the way she did and was brought back just because Bob Harris wanted her back and they were working on, you know, reshuffling the decks and things. Because when you go back and you read those books in the 90s, every single nugget of the subplot of what happened with baby May was leading you in that direction. Okay. Uh, not to be callous, none of that matters anymore. Oh, I, I agree. I, I agree. I'm I just, mean, I, I get, I get all of that from the inception of the Spider Girl title. We're not debating whether or not that Spider Girl title should have happened. We, we did that but last I, I, time. I'm just tr- <laughs> well, I, I do, I get that, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you in the mindset of the fan base. At the no, time. I hear you. My point is, all the history you're talking about, all the minutiae you're talking about, a is just more bad news for people trying to sell Mayday to near readers. And B, you gotta let go at some point. I hate to put it that way, but I get that there was, you know, fatigue after the clone saga, people didn't like the reboot. It's over a decade ago. There has to be some other reason to sell this book now. And as the, Okay, the, hold on. The Spider Girl fans, the Mayday fans, are an impressive group. I, I will never say anything but that. They are an impressive group. Uh, you know, the fact that they did that, taking money out of their own pockets to, to make ads and everything, um, good lord. That is an impressive group of fans. That is a dedicated group of fans. Uh, and I respect that group of fans. But if all that stuff they did did not translate to sales, if in 2010 Spider-Girl is still selling in the toilet uh, after Marvel has listen to those fans and save the title many times. Right. Does that company have an obligation to keep publishing that title for you because you've taken no. out some ads in the past? No, they don't. And I, are you going to say that because you loved this version of, of a character with that name so much that nobody else gets the mantle? Does it not do some sort of honor to the name that Mayday has created and carried on for so many years uh, that we do carry on her mantle, even if her sales were not worth keeping that book going. We're still trying to keep the idea, the legacy of Spider-Girl alive. And I think that is why Spider-Girl fans made a huge mistake by not supporting this book, and by not only not supporting it, but reacting venomously against it to try to get people not to buy it and to not buy it themselves. And, you know, I don't know if they did, but they may very well have contributed to tanking it. And where has the Spider-Girl legacy gone since then? I think I'm going to cut you guys off on because we've talked about publishing and just sort of railing against that for a very long time. And I feel like that should not be our focus, but on the character herself, because we can complain about publishing until we're blue in the face as a DC fan. I feel that. <laughs> um, but I think we yeah. really should, because this is about Spider-Girl, so I think we really should talk about um, her as a character and why does, you know, what's the difference between the two of them and why does one deserve to be here and one does... You know, maybe it's time for her to take a break. Uh, Zach, you brought up something good just about their backgrounds, and I think that would be something good. Talk about, like, how they grew up, what their family life is like, and what their bio is, and how maybe now this is the time for, is this the time for May and what she is like and her family, or is this the time for Anya? 
Okay. Uh, yeah, May grew up a completely normal kid up until the age of 15, and uh, that's when she first exhibited in a basketball tournament, or a bas- not just a basketball game, some spider powers. Now, she's always she'd always been naturally athletic, and uh, she got that from her mother, not her father. Uh, her mom is Mary Jane, you know, Mary Jane Watson, you know, and her father's Peter Parker. So she exhibits, exhibits spider powers and learns about the legacy. You know, you brought up DC, Stella. Spider-Girl, to me, Mayday Parker is really, truly the first major long-term legacy character of the Marvel Universe. Now, there may be other examples, but in terms of a legacy character, in terms of a family-friendly book to get somebody... even, Even if you don't tell them all the history behind Mayday, you just say... Here you go. Here's that first digest. Have fun. Little girl reading that digest. Ma- ma- it's a manga-sized digest. It's, it's you know, up right a lot of people's alley, you know, that read manga and stuff like that. And that was purposeful, how they published that. You say, okay, here's a, here's a female character that just has, is incredibly strong, well-rounded, has very, she, she's not an orphan. She's not Peter Parker. She has both her parents. She has the support of both. At, well, varying times, she has the support of one or the other of her parents. She goes through high school, typical high school experience and, with spider powers, and is it's a very that's that's her that's her origin. At her core, family is all about about is what she's all about. And contrast that with with Anya. Her mother's gone when we meet her. Eventually, in the in the in the most recent 2010 series, her dad dies in a very violent, violent and tragic way. So, once again, something that was unique in the, in the original Aranya title, her dad was around. She had that very strong familial connection that is completely robbed of her when you get to Spider or her as Spider Girl. It just comparing and contrasting the two, you have an orphan on one side, and you have a incredibly stable, which is unique in comics. I mean, how many comics have both parents, and we brought this up, we talked about this on Spectacular Radio, one of the reasons that they brought in Emily Osborne on the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon was because Harry's in high school, and quite frankly, everybody's in orf- you know, has lost at least one parent in the, Spider-Girl, in the Spider-Man universe. So to have Spider-Girl turn that on the dime, and, and one of the phrases that that DeFalco has, has said when talking about the setup of the book was Spider-Girl became Spider-Girl because of somebody that lived. Spider-Man became Spider-Man because of somebody who died. So to have both those parents have that, and eventually she has a little brother that developed spider powers at a very early age. Uh, so there's a, it's a very heartwarming, family-connected book that you just don't see in, in comics these days. And so that's one of the things that I didn't like when I'm reading this this new Spider Girl book was that something that oh she has her dad you know there, there's a and yeah Peter has Aunt May but that is, that's it's not the same it's not her father or it's her father not her aunt so to have that pretty strong familiar and have him maybe being a reporter and stuff like that that's that's a very cool thing and yet then it's taken away from us in the first issue into the second issue so. Um, I'm going to go ahead and surprise you. I agree. Um, I think I I was shocked 
at how terrible a, a writing choice, how bad a misstep it was to kill her father uh, at the end of the first issue. Because, you know, I hadn't read much of Rania, like I said. Um, I, I read the Spider-Girl series. And that first issue of Spider-Girl, the main thing that I latched onto as something that I, I was liking and responding to was the relationship between her and her father. Um, I, I thought that was going to be a really good central element of this book, and I could I could definitely get into that. And and then they just killed him. <laughs> and like you know, w- would Veronica Mars have been the same if they had killed Keith Mars in the pilot? No, no, that would have been stupid. Um, <laughs> they they had an opportunity to have. I mean, the the father daughter relationship in Veronica Mars was one of the best things about that show, and they had an opportunity to have something like that. Um, Castle in this comic way. book. Well, no, because the daughter's not the star. Um, but pl- you know, plenty of characters have daughters, but you know, the the father daughter relationship where the daughter is the star. Um, mm, yeah, and I, okay. I think it lost something without that. I also think when you're talking about uh, representation in comics, we are talking about this is one of the few characters that maybe someone of a different ethnicity, uh, a, a kid, can look up to, and that relationship with her father would have been something really good. Uh, to let them look up to, and then they they snatched it away. So I, I think that I mean, was a terrible, terrible misstep with this character. And as much as I'm not a huge fan of retcons, I would be straight behind somebody if they decided to retcon that someday. Yeah, I mean, and it, to, we talk about other ethnic characters. You've got Miles Morales. He had both his parents. Yeah. Throughout much of the run, and 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 when so when the parent dies, it's it's impactful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kicks you in the in the face. When, when his, spoiler alert, his mother dies. I mean, that was just an impactful death. Whereas, you know, back in 1963, you didn't see, you know, that type of death, the father figure dying in the first issue, that's impactful. But the impact is lost now because it's, it's commonplace. Well, not to mention, I, I got to admit, when I got to the end of this first issue, I didn't think he was dead. I thought he got, you know, some books knocked over on him. He was going to be hurt. <laughs> and then I got to issue right. two and was like, wait, he's dead? Whose idea was yeah. this? I mean, so, you yeah, could have crippled Not him. to throw the, the, the match on this particular point or anything, but I have to admit I agree on that. Um, I don't totally agree on, on Mayday. I think her family life was maybe a bit too perfect. Um, and you can say, oh, she had a disagreement with her mom once in a while. But that was, that was one freaking idyllic family life she had. Um, and I, I don't think it was think, one that particularly resonates with a lot of kids today. Not that people have to be divorced um, or dead or anything, but there just weren't really any problems in that family. Uh, I was a bit leave it to Beaver for your modern comic book reader. And uh, and so I'm as much as I think they made a huge misstep with Anya's family in that first issue, um, I'm not willing to say that Mayday had, had it right with the family aspect. Uh, my, my last counterpoint to that, I think that was done on purpose just because of the chaos that was Peter's life. Well, here's the thing, though. Doing it on purpose doesn't change the quality. Because <laughs> frankly, I think- to, to admit one more fault in my own, I'm pretty sure they did the Twitter thing on purpose in this comic, and it was still horrible. <laughs> you know, I, we have a friend of the show. Well, he's not a friend of the show. He's on the show all the, uh, half the time. Josh, you know, he likes to make fun of, you've heard us, you've probably heard him talk about it on the show. He's done it on Crawl Space too, but the hashtag. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to actually be the opposite of you. 
I like the Twitter aspect. I, I my problem, my, probably my long term problem with that with it now is that it does it can date the book by doing trying to do it that way. But it was something very unique to the title. Well, see, was I don't think I it was that. terrible in idea. I do think it was terrible in execution. Um, okay. I think it was not written particularly well. Um, and I think it was used too much as a narrative crutch, and that she said way too much in this Twitter because it was the narration. <laughs> to the point where in the early right. issues, I'm saying, somebody can easily figure out who you are from this Twitter. And then, and I think it was the Spider Island miniseries that directly followed this, her roommate said she did it was, figure out it who was, she was from the Twitter. Uh, it, was, it was actually issue eight. Yeah, okay. I knew it was one of the endings. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm, I'm th- and I'm, you know, when you get to the <laughs> issue eight and and you admit that that was a bad idea because somebody can figure that out, it it doesn't make what you did in the previous eight issues better. <laughs> I, I, I so yeah, I think the idea was solid, but the execution was not. I, to to be you... perfectly fair, I have a lot of problems with Tobin's writing. Um, I'm 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 not familiar with Paul Tobin outside of this series. I know he did the Marvel Adventures Spider-Man series for a long time, but I never read it. Um, I don't think it's the right choice to write Spider Girl. I think, um, and that was going to be that was going to be my next question to you. Do you think that this would have been a better title if it had been with a much more polished, more established writer like a Brian Michael Bendis or a or? Uh, well, I will never say that else. only a woman can write a woman. I'll never say that only somebody of a certain ethnicity can write that ethnicity. But I think when we're doing a young female. Uh, Mexican hero, it would have been nice to see somebody whose name wasn't Paul Tobin. You know? <laughs> Why does it have to be a white guy? You know, there there are other people out there that we could have gone to for this. I'll freely admit, um, the quality of Marvel Adventure Spider-Man went up when to- when Tobin took over. Because if I'm if I'm remembering, and I'm granted, I I could obviously look this up, but I'm yeah. If I'm remembering, he came in and basically created a new character from scratch, a new female love interest that was both cute and poignant, and I actually liked her as a love interest for a teenage Peter Parker, and I really did enjoy those books. Yeah, like but, I'm not assailing the, uh, the quality of Paul Tobin's writing. I'm not familiar with him outside of just these 11 issues of Spider-Girl and Spider-Island Spider-Girl. Um, right. I think he was the wrong choice for this comic. I vastly disagree with several of the decisions that he made, and yeah, I do think that hurt the book, unfortunately. Do you, do you think that also having the guest stars... Now, I liked, uh, I did like Invisible Woman in this book, uh, but like the Red Hulk being a, a big part of it, you know, there was, some, there was some both positive and negative reactions with Red Hulk at the time. I think there were positive and negative uh, effects to having Red Hulk guest star. He was, for better or worse, for whatever reason I could never really figure out, he was kind of huge at the time. So having him on the cover yeah. number two doesn't hurt sales-wise. Um, right. Story-wise, I was annoyed that um, you know the character Red Hulk throw up all over your kill her. Uh, the character kept wanting to kill Red Hulk for murdering her father, even though it was firmly established early on that he didn't. Um, and, and I thought Red Hulk was a bit too involved with the ongoing story as a whole. But the 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 idea of having him as a guest star, putting him on a cover, good for sales. The idea of having uh, you know these big time Spider Man villains. Um, and I say big time as in the era, not that they're big time villains. Um, the idea of having <laughs> them in guest star roles on the cover, good idea. It gets you know, I, I didn't pick up the series at the time. Uh, you know, I, I go through quite a lot of times of 
let's call it financial depression. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Sorry. seeing that some of these, you know, when I was reading Amazing Spider-Man, seeing some of these villains are crossing over here uh, was the biggest thing that made me interested in maybe picking up the book. So uh, clearly that that could uh, that has that effect. I'm sure other people actually did pick up the book because of that. So I think, you know, you, you said guest stars. I think guest stars are kind of a necessary evil for a lot of new books because they are a proven way to bring in readers. I would counter that point about guest stars. You look at new uh, at Young Avengers. Yes, it's a, it was an established title, but it really didn't have that many guest stars. Well, the first volume of Young Avengers, which got a lot of people on board, right, had all the Avengers in it. <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, that's true. But I, I'm talking it also about had the, the word Avengers on the cover. But I also would counterpoint that and with Loki. the latest. Yeah, the latest the latest volume really didn't. I mean, yeah, it had Kid Loki, but he was a part of the cast. He wasn't a guest star. Does it make sense? Yes. But it also boosts the profile of the book. <laughs> also, True. you know, you had uh, Young Avengers was kind of a different thing because a you had the team of Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, um, which is a draw into previous, itself. Well, right, it's a previous, previously established, well-known team. Whereas so. Paul Tobin, maybe he's good other places, I don't know, and Clayton Henry, whose art I liked, but still are not a a big name team to launch this comic with. Uh, I thought Henry's artwork, and I, I'm going to dovetail on this point for you. Um, I thought Henry's artwork was good with the superheroics, but I felt like the art wasn't as good when he's drawing like outside the costume. I thought the art was great in general, uh, but you know, point is, yeah, they're just uh, this title didn't get any boost from people following creators to it. You know, there are a lot of people these days and in, in the past few years that are kind of following around creators they like. Um, there's there's Brian Michael Bendis is a classic example. Sure, and I read a lot of Kieran Gillen books because they're Kieran Gillen. I really enjoy his writing, uh, and there's a lot of people like that these days. Jason Aaron, sure. Um, Jonathan Hickman, yeah, I was about to, yeah. you know, and but there was none of that boost for this book. Um, Tobin and Henry had done work before, but they just aren't they aren't names. You know, they aren't the the kind of name writers and artists. There's no sex appeal to, to the book. Uh, unless you're just a huge fan of Marvel Adventure Spider-Man, <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no sex appeal to those, for lack of a better term. See, I'm not, I'm not trying. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to make it sound bad because it's not anything about them. It's just you know, you're some people are creators, some people are name creators. Your Hickmans, your Gillens, right. uh, you know, your uh, your McKelvies. So that's that's one other thing that Marvel you, you talk you talk about promotion for a Spider Girl book. That's another thing Marvel could have done for this book uh, to help it get beyond eight issues. Now, you talk about the mentor aspect of Peter being in the book. It seemed like when they started seeing the sales, they were like, okay, we need to bring Spider-Man in this book. It seemed like at the beginning, like the first three or four issues, they went out of their way not to have Spider-Man in there. Yeah, uh, like I said, with with Tobin, the big thing is I really disagree with a lot of his choices, and one of them is that he didn't have that Spider-Man presence. Um, Because one of the things that interested me from the end of The Grim Hunt um, when this whole thing kind of got touched off, was the idea of Spider-Man in a kind of mentorship role. And I think, A, it would have been good story-wise. It would have been good to see in the book early on. B, it would have helped sell the thing. Put Spider-Man on the cover early on, you're going to get more sales. That's right. People have known that since like the 70s. Um, right. I mean, NFL Super Pro had Spider-Man in it. Yeah. I mean, look at the amount of times Spider-Man crossed over with Ghost Rider in the 90s, and those two guys were in everybody else's book. You know, it's, right. it's not because they made sense for the story. 
Um, so yeah, the first time you see Spider-Man on a cover is number eight, final issue. Um, the two before that, starting with number six, said guest starring the Amazing Spider-Man, which I assume they slapped on after the cover was drawn and realized they wanted to boost those sales. Um, but like the cover for number eight is this great cover with Spider-Man and the new Spider-Girl uh, jumping between buildings. And that is the kind of thing that I would like to have really seen from this book that we didn't. And I think Kelly Sue DeConnick, when she used her in Avengers Assemble, proved that the mentorship angle was a good one for Anya. And it it helped bring out things about her character, but also make them not annoying. Because <laughs> the way she reacted to a lot of the mentors was... Uh, this she's a she's a hot-headed, bristly sort of person. And as a solo hero, when it's just her and you're seeing her act like that, it can be annoying. Not when you pair her up with somebody else. So you're saying she'd be better suited as a... T- maybe not necessarily as a as a solo book, but as a... I can see where you get that from what I just book. said, but uh, but no. My, my point is that I think the mentorship angle is something that should have been explored in her book often. Um, I think it's it's a very valid angle to go with her. That's not something you really see a lot. You know, I, I can't think of another teen hero that that's something we see a whole lot of. Uh, you'll see them in and, other and people's books. But yeah, and, and um, again, it, you're, you're talking about a parade of guest stars that you can put on the cover to bring all kinds of different fans in, but that actually makes sense to the story. Now, I, I do want to highlight something that I that I I'm going to expand upon in an article on Crawl Space. One thing I, you, we talked about Grim Hunt, we talked about Spider Girl spinning out of that. One thing I have to say about about Steve Wacker and and a little bit less to a lesser extent Dan Slott and, is that anytime there's an event, if they're going to make some satellite titles, it spins. It's an organic method of doing that. And look, we we you know we had an agreement on this. I think that from it, out, taking away this Mayday aspect for a second, taking Spider Girl and spinning her out of that Grim Hunt storyline and, and pushing her forward was. Not something that you – I've seen all that much in other books, and I may be wrong, but especially Marvel, it seems like they're just going to, oh, new character, throw them out there. You know, sometimes it just and – they, and they sink or swim, whereas it, this there was an organic reason for her to have her look, have her costume, have her start as a book because you had Grim Hunt, and then you had um, – what was it called? Oh, what was the what was the Goblin Baby storyline that, that pretty much oh. ended – Oh, um, Origin of the Species. Origins. You have you had Grim Hunt, and you had Origin of the Species, and then, uh, big time, big time. Yeah, I mean, so you know that was that nugget was planted in that storyline, and it bolstered. It was done deliberately to try to to try to promote this new Spider Girl title, and of course she was a part of a big big launch initiative, which pretty much fizzled. Everything's fizzled out from that launch initiative. I mean, outside of Venom was the only thing that really latched on for a while, and that's because it's Venom. But, you know, towards the end of her book, you got Spider Island, which, you know, dovetailed Kane. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's this. Those that listened to this show, I was really, really, really liking that title for the first, like, 12 issues, most of the first 12 issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think we've talked about that one. I think the inception of the character. Um Becoming Spider Girl and Grim Hunt was very good. Um, Just as a, as a concept of, of Wacker has done a very good job of, of spinning things, spinning titles out of events that make sense organically and story story wise. So I have to give I have to give them props about that. I just wasn't in love 
the fact that her name is Spider Girl. <laughs> uh, at one point, uh, Zach, when he was going over, you know, who May actually is, called her a legacy character. And, uh, you know, hearing you guys talk about, well, gee, she has 130 issues potentially if you count everything. What makes it as, let's take me, who's pretty much read neither of these people except, you know, what I have encountered in Spider-Man. What makes me as a potential new reader to quote Spider-Girl want to pick up May or want to try Anya? Do I want to dive into something that is a legacy character and has such a huge background if she were to get a new number one? Or do I want to try this other character that's in the here and now and, you know... I don't know. So I, that, there's my new, my new thought, my new topic. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Every issue, somebody's first. Whether it's, in, it's got number one or number 130. Now, Marvel doesn't seem to understand this these days. Because <laughs> every, every three months, we're getting a new number one. Uh, DC, you know, to their credit, hasn't relaunched their whole line yet. But they did do that. Not in the past you know, three years. Not in the past three years. <laughs> but that was my point. It was like, it's like Marvel, it seems like every six months, it's like, oh, new number one! Throw it on there. Um, the cool thing is, is this depends on, on the execution. We talked about the execution with Bal- Paul Tobin, and one thing I'll say about Do- Tom DeFalco as opposed to Paul Tobin, DeFalco is a very workman-like writer. He, he, he is consistent to a fault. <laughs> you know, his, his writing isn't... It isn't going to make you think. It's not going to make you. It's not going to like make you ponder like a Grant Morrison or uh, Jonathan Hickman. You know, it's not. It's not. You know, or Alan Moore, or whatever. But it's consistent and and if you're into that thing, you're great. If if Mayday was launched today, one, I likely think that she would probably be brought into the six one six. The Spider Verse event would be a perfect way of bringing her into the six one six because oh, she'll be in it. She's in the picture. Yeah, she's a, she. Well, and and Aranya's in it too, right? Yeah, uh, they they promise literally, and they use the word literally every spider character ever, except for spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Well, I think they mean in the comics. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked that question, and Slot's like, "Well, no, it's it's half owned by Sony." Which, if you listen to Spectacular Radio, Wiseman kind of gives you some hints as to the relationship between Marvel and Sony, which is very very interesting. Um, anyway, but uh, so we're going to see these two characters interact. But if, if there was to be a Spider Girl book, they'd probably bring him in the six one six. Kevin, quick question: Would would you be opposed to having both of these characters in one book? Um, opposed is a strong word. I don't have any moral objections. I don't see the appeal. I'm not sure why you would put them together besides name. You know, just so you could have a book called Spider Girls. Okay, you got Spider Girls. Um, you have one. On one end, you've got one that knows Peter Parker in- intimately, and then you have the other that doesn't. See, here's where I, I, I disagree. I don't think they would bring uh, May into the present for a couple of reasons. One, again, it makes her girl out of time, daughter of Spider-Man. Um, it also, let's face it, the thing that is always going to be a problem for post-One More Day Marvel, no matter what we think about One More Day, we all hate it, true. But it's a reality, and it has been for years. So... In post-One More Day Marvel, it is always going to be a problem for Marvel editorial that she is the daughter of Peter Parker and Mary Jane, because they are not trying to put those characters together. And right. when you, if you bring to the present day a daughter of those two characters, it 
forcibly changes their dynamic. Um, it, it makes them look at their relationship uh, and what could have been and what still might be. And Marvel doesn't want to do that. And again, like it or not, that's just a fact. So that's a good reason I don't think they're going to bring her back. Also, I mean, we're, we're just in July launching a title of Spider-Man 2099 as a man out of time. We don't really need another Spider character from the future. Um, right. But yeah, I just don't think these two girls go together that well. Um, I think it would be just too weird having, you know, young Peter and Mary Jane's daughter running around. So I, I, I reject the premise that Mark would well, do that. Okay, there is to be a new number one for either of these characters, and if we're going to look at uh, selling either of those, it has to be as is. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure if they relaunch Spider-Girl uh, Mayday, it would be where she was before. And, you know, kind of good luck with that, because I feel it's like Tom DeFalco wrote himself into a corner. Um, that... I felt like that timeline, uh, that continuity was losing steam for a while, and I think we both agreed that the Mayhem character was not a good addition to the title. And frankly, if I was Marvel Editorial, I might have questioned Tom DeFalco what he was doing by creating a clone symbiote uh, in this title that was already so dependent on the clone saga, um, and it just Mm -hmm. kind of marginalizes it further. Yeah, the, the 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 mayhem character started. I mean, I like the story that brought the the possible clone of May in, but I would have never given her the symbiote personally because that was just that was just I mean, too much. I, it's my feeling, and this is just my feeling, that when Tom DeFalco decided to do a clone saga in this book that came from Clone Saga continuity, it was pretty much conscious or not, him just going ahead and saying, okay. I know the only fans of this book are people that like the Clone Saga anyway. I may as well double down. And I think as soon as he did that, it closed off new readers even more. Fair enough. Just my opinion. Fair enough. Fair fair enough. Now, you know, to Stella's question of, you know, which one is is she as a new reader going to pick up? Obviously, there's your hardcore Spider-Man fan that's going to pick up anybody with the word spider in the title. So those people you don't even need to sell it to. Um I think your casual readers of Spider-Man, uh, of which there are plenty, are much more likely to pick up a book of Anya's because she is in his world. You know, when I, I said it before. This is somebody that can cross over into events. Uh, this is somebody that can share villains. This is somebody that can have Spider-Man guest star in her book. This is somebody who can have an impact and be impacted by the Spider-Man book you're reading. Whereas with May, she will always and forever be in her own little corner. Um, and sure, she has her own full world. I don't like much of it. <laughs> um, again, this is opinion. One of my biggest problems with the Spider-Girl book was the MC2 universe. I don't really like most of the people in it. Um, I, I didn't think it was that well-founded. Um, and, and again, you talk about DeFalco's writing style. It's not that it's bad. It's that it never evolved. I like some of Tom DeFalco's stuff from the old days. The problem is, his, he's, to me, he still writes exactly the same way. And for the most part, comic book writing has evolved a lot in the past 20 years. Uh-huh. You look at a comic book from the 90s, it's really not written the same way as a comic book from today, especially not one that sells well today. And <laughs> yeah. I, I like Tom DeFalco. He's a good guy. I've talked to him on the Crawlspace podcast. Uh, I, I like the guy, like I said, I like some of his older writing. It's just that he never evolved his writing style. And, and that's his choice. 
Um, but I think it's a much harder sell to a modern audience. Um, even if you sell the first issue to them, they're going to read it, and it's going to depend on what their reaction is to this writing style that is, frankly, of a bygone era. Again, not bad, just not modern, not current, not kept up, not evolved. And, and I think that makes it almost always for a niche market. Whereas with Anya... And I'm saying that about Tom DeFalco with Spider-Girl Mayday because, as you said, he's the only one that's written her. One issue doesn't mean anybody else has really written her. Um, Tom DeFalco is seen as May's writer, and I feel like as prone as the Spider-Girl fandom is to shooting themselves in the foot, like when they decided not to support the new Spider-Girl, I feel like the Spider-Girl fan base would rebel if they launched a new Spider-Girl book without Tom DeFalco. And I think that's that's the, the to the detriment of. Uh, on that regard, I, I I agree with you, and I I hate that I, I that that it comes to that because it is there are so in, those two are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing, it's his baby, you know, and that's right. fine. But if you're looking, but at, if if you're looking at new launches of these characters, I think what you're looking at is an almost definite launch of Mayday by Tom DeFalco or her own fan base is going to rebel, whereas with Anya, I think you're looking at a new writer. And I think you're looking at, hopefully, somebody that makes better choices with the character. For me, uh, Anya's saving grace was Kelly Sue DeConnick getting a hold of her in Avengers Assemble. If you gave that writer that character, she would sell. Period. Oh, I I don't disagree, but I also... I'll be honest with you. I, I went back with back in the back in the days when I was a regular poster on on the Spider Girl message board. That you know we we did bring that up. You know what if it was written by somebody else? Well, it would be it lose. But at the same time, they had the, the Spider Girl fandom has to be open to somebody other than Tom DeFalco writing it because one, Tom DeFalco is not a young man, and two, if they're going to launch a title, they ha- if you're going to go all in and say okay. We're gonna we're gonna bring in Mayday Parker six one six whatever. If if you gave it to any writer and a, and that writer had an interesting premise because because Kevin you're a writer I do I dabble in writing. There are no bad characters. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> there are some bad characters, <laughs> but if you're a good enough writer, you can make the best out of many characters. Nick Spencer, for example, Superior Foes of Spider Man. Absolutely. Who saw that coming? Nobody saw that. <laughs> I was the guy that was like, "Screw this book! I hate it! I'll burn it alive." I, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. It didn't. It didn't click with me when I read it the first time. I made fun of it when they announced it. Yeah. Then I gave it well, all A's. Were, yeah, and then, <laughs> um, and then like I'm like I'm hearing Kevin like gush about this thing. I'm okay, okay. Kevin and I don't always have the same taste of books, as evidenced by this by this debate. <laughs> but um, you know what? He's, he's gushing about this book, so I had to try it out. But you're right. I mean, that, that, my point is, my greater point is, is that Mayday as a character, if it was written by somebody else, anybody else, could be advanced further just as much as Anya. Because uh, it, and, uh, I kind of agree with you, but I, I just can't get past where I don't think the fandom would support it, and I think without the support of the fandom... It wouldn't work anyway. And I think Marvel sees that. I think Marvel has seen how diehard Mayday fans are uh, with Tom DeFalco. And I, again, this is just my guess, 
Um, but I think they probably feel like there wouldn't be much point in relaunching this book for those fans without Tom DeFalco. And yeah, but if there's somebody, if there was anybody that was going to give his blessing about uh, over a character, Tom DeFalco is the biggest company man you can find. Let me ask you, um, independent from sales, let's let's forget sales altogether. Do you think the character that you love does she lose something if she's not written by Tom DeFalco and take into account not just the character but uh, the stories you've gotten about the character, the fact that it's been this continuity that comes from an era you love, even if it's a bygone one. Does does Mayday lose something if she's written by a different writer, independent of sales? No, because I think she's strong enough that if a good if a good writer comes in, and that's always an if, of course, that writer can enrich that already established universe. It's no to me, it's no different than Stan than Stan Lee handing it off eventually to Jerry Conway. Cheers. That's, and Jerry, that's a good simile. Um, and Conway comes in and just absolutely advances the world. And some of the biggest advancements of Peter Parker, some of the classic elements, quote unquote, that people latch onto are a lot of it's Conway, just as much as Lee. I mean, Lee and Conway are intrinsically intertwined with that character. I mean, Conway took some risks that nobody else did in, like, killing off Gwen Stacy. But. Like things, I mean, bugle developments. There's a, there's a ton of developments, and then this was uh, in Josh. If Josh Bertoni was on right now, he could sit there and list all those all those off you know, bullet point by bullet point. But there's a lot of stuff that that if if a capable enough writer comes in, then definitely you can enhance. And and it's the same. And I'll, I'll even flip it on its head, Kevin. It's the same thing with 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 Anya. If a capable enough writer comes in, they can enrich what's already been previously established. Absolutely. Um, of course, so, Anya is different to where there there isn't a writer that's you know no. intrinsically part of her. Um, but yeah, I, I, my I agree <laughs> that um, that that a different writer could do well. Honestly, I've thought about it before. I would write a Mayday book if if presented with the idea. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean the the last time you were on the show, you promoted a book that had that giant tease at the end, and you haven't written another issue since. Yeah. Things happened. <laughs> I've, I've still got so, so much, much story happened. in my head, but uh, many yeah. apologies to anybody that heard that was his point. Um, but yeah, that would have been very different. <laughs> that would have been that would have been the daughter of Spider-Man, but very different from Spider-Man right. Mayday. Um, but yeah, I, I would totally write a, a relaunch of Mayday's book in the future. Um, for me, if I was going to do that, though. Um, I think one of the interesting things that that ha- wasn't explored much is what has happened to all these other people from Spider-Man's world. Yeah, we got Green Goblin and Venom and, unfortunately, Carnage. I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, a little bit of Aranya, but there's all these characters, all these villains and supporting yeah. characters. Peter Parker's still alive. So, I mean, and he's got all kinds of villains that even if... <laughs> we could do 100 years in the future, and there's no reason that Morbius should be dead. There's no reason that Electro, made of living energy, should be dead. There's no reason that a dude made of sand should be dead. You know, I mean. Well, um, they they did touch on, um, upon Electro, and one of probably the best issues of, of Spider Girl, uh, eighty one, um, where they explored yeah, the aftermath. See? Yeah, yeah. No, that that honestly that 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 would be one if if I was to recommend a book, one of the books uh, that was probably one of the best issues of the whole run. Um, and that was that was DeFalco taking. I mean, DeFalco. One of the things about DeFalco is is that he was able to take things and just 
take a little nugget and just turn it into into something completely huge. Um, and you don't see that very often today. But it is you're right. It is it is a bygone era when it comes to that. Well, from from that question, I did something that happened an hour ago. Um, Zach was talking about um, why have this new character when there are such great, potentially great characters around, you know, Maddie had her issues, but you know, we do have some other spider women, um, that have been around. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts on having a younger, a teen come in and Kevin kind of touch upon this, or would you have preferred, you know, an older person take on, um, this mantle, maybe not necessarily spider girl, but have that, book of her name would you have preferred that having a woman still somewhat connected to spider-man having her own title or do you think this is the time of the teen and this is an easier way to get people involved in and reading um i'll i'll tackle that do i take it um i do think that uh again i it i think it's difficult to bring up the issue of race in a debate like this because it sounds too much like a trump card or something. Um, But in all honesty, I think we're seeing more and more how important representation is. Uh, I think one of the reasons it's more important to advance Anya than it would be, you know, another white girl, frankly, uh, like Maddie Franklin, is because it allows more kids to see themselves in a comic book. Um, We've seen the response to other characters and and let's face it we're in an era where so many people you know I keep seeing statistics online all the time from all different sources that the fastest growing segment of readership is girls age 17 to mid 30s so we're talking young girls are seeking out comic books um and that's yeah. that's an amazing time to be launching uh and promoting a young female hero and i just I can't get around, we have enough white people. Why do we need more white people or to promote the same white people um, when we have a character here who adds diversity to the line? Um, You said, uh, Zach, that Joe Quesada kind of made the character his baby. There's an easy and obvious reason for that. Joe Quesada is a Mexican man who has children. So he, as a father, is invested in the idea of his children having a hero they can see themselves in in comic books. And of course he is. Of course other parents are. I mean, even if you're talking about just marketing comic books to the United States, there's such a large Mexican and Latino population in the United States. Right. um, I I live in Texas, I know. Yeah. And, you know, you can go crass commercialism, just, hey, let's have something to sell to them. Or uh, you can also look at just how important it is for these kids to have heroes. Uh, one of the most touching things I've seen on the internet recently was uh, a, a picture. Uh, a man, a father of a young girl, I think she's six years old, tweeted that uh, what he said was, my daughter told me she thought only boys could be superheroes, so I got her a gift today. And it's a picture of her, uh, you know, curled up and like halfway through a Captain Marvel trade. Nice. And that, that just... I think brings it home for you. And and that's I, not just girls, you know? That's that was a specific illustration for girls, but it's also for uh diverse ethnic populations. It's important. Like it or not. 
for everybody to be able to see themselves in heroes. And as much as the writers of Noah want you to think that white people should stand in as the everyman for everyone, that is not the case. Well, and, and, and I will say this. That's what's made Spider-Man such a endearing character is that you can ha- you you can put yourself into that character. That's what made him so popular is that you could be black, white, Latino, uh, Asian, uh, uh, Native American. It didn't matter. You could be any race, and you could be you could <laughs> skip past the Peter Parker parts, and you, you could imagine yourself as Spider Man. Sure, but look at how much it meant to. Uh, black kids to uh, Latino kids for Miles Morales to be the new Spider-Man. I, I agree. You know, I agree. and that's... It's and, not, and and the, look, the, I thing was that, sure. the thing that just kills me is people calling that sort of thing a stunt. It's not a stunt. It's a character. Um, and sure, well, people said, oh, you're making, you're making Spider-Man half black, half Puerto Rican. That's clearly a stunt. Well, is there a reason that a new Spider-Man shouldn't be black or Puerto Rican. No, there's not. So you can't introduce that without it being called a stunt. Ridiculous. There are a an absolutely ridiculous number of white heroes in comic books. There are so many white heroes, we never need to create another one. We've got plenty. Um, when you're creating a new character, when you're promoting a new character, I just don't see the reason to make them white. We're covered. You know, they're well, only uh, if you are a, a weirdly racist white person and you only want to read white heroes for the rest of your life, you can do that. <laughs> there have been enough see, things I, published already that you can frickin' do that, and there is no danger of white kids not having somebody to look up to because, again, they're still most of the line. Uh, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that statement, but I also don't believe in boxing doing diversity just because just because it, it, it has to be organic well to make sense what exactly it, it, what i mean what i mean by that is if 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 a writer wants to introduce a character they shouldn't be forced to make it a certain race no matter if it's white or black or whatever it, if they if they feel like okay i can make a uh native american character like that and represent them great but do you see my point? Am I, am, I, am I articulating what I'm trying to say? Is that I think you are. I think you're twisting what I just said into a totalitarian regime where somebody's looking at every writer and saying, "You better not be creating a white character." Um, which which yeah, is not uh, what I'm saying. Okay, okay, um, but like, if somebody wants to create a new white character, they can, right? Clearly, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, point, I just I, I want to make I want to make a hard look sure. at why, you know, right. why why does this character have to be white? You know, if if I'm say writing a screenplay, I'm probably going to make the main character a white guy just because I want to play him, and that's what I have to do. <laughs> but right. if I'm writing a comic book, and the main character is going to be an artist rendering, why would I? make that character a white person when all those stories are already told. And if I want to tell a story with a white character, they are all out there already. Um, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sound totalitarian or whatever, but it, it, it's not like the white people are in danger of being oppressed, let's face it. You know, there's... <laughs> 
there's plenty of us. We're mostly all still in power, um, and and there's a domination of white characters. So when you say diversity needs to be done organically, my response is characters need to be created organically. Um, you know, you don't create a character just for the sake of creating a character. Uh, you need to have a reason, but I don't see anything inorganic about thinking with a mind towards diversity when you're creating that character. Think about, you know, who who you're marketing this to, who you can try to be representing, uh, what you can be adding to the universe, because the more diverse voices there are in the universe, the more interesting it is. Yeah, I, I just think we are at a time where we're really starting to recognize the importance of diversity and representation. We're starting to see it with characters like the young Miss Marvel, um, but there is still such a domination of white and white male characters that we really can't discount the fact that there's a lot of work to do if we want diversity. And we can't say, you know, a, a comic book reader can't sit back and say, yeah, I'm all for diversity, um, but stop creating all of these ethnic characters. Okay. Uh, uh, fair enough. I mean, it, it, maybe a... Sure. I get passionate about things. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so, yeah, there's a little passion about that, but this... I, I do think it's an important issue. And like I said, the more the more testimonial I see from people, the more I start to realize how important it is, and and I think a lot of, you know, your white comic book readers have felt like over the past couple of years they keep hearing this word diversity, and they, they'll see a new character like Anya, who's Mexican, or uh, or, or Miss Marvel, who's Muslim, and, like, and, and they think, oh, well, we've been pushing diversity for years, um, but they're not looking at the fact that there's still so little of it. And I do, it brings up a good question on what diversity is, and that's something, Kevin, when you were on uh, Backroll to Oracle, and we talked about, you know, what did Donovan think, uh, because I disagree with a man being on Birds of Prey, and uh, he sort of rebuttaled you, of course, there is no one to rebuttal him, but I I think there's a good question on, is diversity company-wide, or is it sort of family and book-wide? Do we look at Marvel as a whole, or do we zoom in and see Spider-Man made up mostly of, and I feel, well, yeah, if we look at Spider-Man 616, I feel like I could almost say the majority of all those heroes are all white. And so finally we're able to kind of put in a, a different piece of color. So I think it's good to also think about what is diversity, and are we zooming in just on one family, or are we looking company-wide? Well, I would argue. I would also argue that this Spider-Man may have the most, one of the more diverse supporting casts throughout its publishing history. So, I mean, you got guys like Joe Robinson. You mm-hmm. got uh, Chan. Uh, I can't remember if it was what's his first name. He was one of the college roommates, or co- not college roommates. Uh, Jimmy Chang. I think is his name. Clearly, his his effect echoes to this day. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, but, but like, I mean, you okay. Can't... And here's the thing, uh, especially when we're talking about kids, you're talking about the roommate and the the newspaper editor. But you look at the spider themed heroes, except for Anya, they're all white. Mm-hmm. True. And you know, <laughs> do you want to see, you know, that you can watch the superheroes and be their friends, or do you want to see that you can be a hero? I think there's an important distinction there. Um, and to, to, you know, to more directly respond to what Stella's saying, I do think it's something that um, 
for me, I tend to think of it company wide because obviously, and I've had the the weird rebuttal um, when talking about diversity that you know, well, if if this solo book stars, uh, let's say a Mexican hero and her Mexican family, that's not diversity because there aren't any white people. That is the stupidest thing you could possibly say to begin with. Um, but the second thing is, I would mostly, usually, be talking about it in terms of Marvel's publishing line. Okay. Uh, a, a book starring a Mexican hero like Anya adds diversity to the line. Uh, a book starring uh, Miss Marvel adds diversity to the line. The Mighty Avengers team is made up of uh, mostly African American and Latino characters, um, so... That is a bit of diversity. You can't say it's hugely diverse, but it adds diversity to the line by being there, especially as right. a rebuttal to the largely white main Avengers team. Right, and I, I'll say this too. I I absolutely agree with Kevin. When I I don't with DC, it's it, it, you you do have to think about the families because that's how they're marketed. Almost, you got the Batman family, you got the Green Lantern family, you got the the Superman family. So they are kind of familial in in their in their publishing. Yeah, they cross over with all each other, but but I mean they're kind of divided by those lines, and especially with the New Fifty Two. I mean, Green Lantern and Batman seem like they're picking up everything that they they left off from before yeah, the New Fifty Two. The best selling, so they got to mostly not reboot. Um, yeah, but to continue though, um, there is uh, there are levels. You know the the line is mostly what I'm thinking about, but you do also want to look at families. And while Zach is right, DC is more family oriented. That doesn't mean there aren't families in Marvel to look at. And as Stella points out, Spider-Man has one of the most solid and knit together family of books actually in all of Marvel. Um, he is a family that gets its own solids, uh, a family that crosses over in events. Um, we have. You know, it's 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 smaller now than I think it's been in a long time. Um, but you have Spider-Man. You've had spinoffs like Scarlet Spider and Venom, uh, and the Spider-Girl book, Superior Foes, uh, Team Up. We're about to have Spider-Man 2099, and yeah, yeah, it is important when you're looking in that family to notice that they're all white people. Um, the Avengers also is a family. Uh, it's a weird family because you have sort of two different levels of Avengers family. You have the family of books that are the like five or six freaking books that are Avengers teams, and that's one level. The other level is Avengers characters, uh, Avengers family characters that have solo books, and how much would it suck if all of them were white? You know, so that so it it is a matter of looking at the line for things like uh, the Miss Marvel book. Um, but I think Stella brings up a good point that you also have to look at it on the level of families. Um, and just, you know, why not have diversity? Again, it, it adds such a richness uh, to whatever line you're talking about, whether it be family or full-on publishing line. Um, you know, I'd rather have multiple voices represented in the Spider-Man family than just the white guys, especially than just Spider-Man and the angry white guys, which is what it's been for a while. <laughs> yeah, especially with Kane. Yeah, well, especially then, when Spider-Man himself was angry white guy as Dr. Octopus. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah I, I, I think um, it's not something I quite thought of, but Stella brings up a very good point there. Stella, do you have anything uh, else to add? Uh, well, that was very race-heavy. Uh, what are your thoughts on her age? Um, I, I, you know, 
for a long time, the, the, especially with DC, the teen sidekick was like a thing. And we haven't really gotten that teen... I mean, Spider-Man was kind of the last major teen superhero. Um, I would disagree with that, but... Well, ahead. I mean... But no, like, like that's... that's uh, Okay, Spider-Man hasn't been the last major teen superhero, but, like, with Marvel... You know, Spider-Man kind of grew up and evolved and, and changed and stuff like that. And you had you had other teens come in, like the New Warriors. But to me, having that you, you talk about that mentorship role, and it it'd be different. It'd be hard to do a a woman men, man mentor like Spider-Man Spider Woman mentorship role because they're kind of you know at that point if they're a woman they're kind of set in their ways. Well, and also you're you're looking at people that are on basically the same level. Even if Spider Man's been around for longer, uh, right. there, there is absolutely no excuse for him to be mentoring her. Right. Um. Well. No. Yeah. Spider Spider Man mentor him. Who? I think oh yeah, Spider Man. Yes, but yeah. oh okay, okay. I was so confused for a second. I'm like, yeah, no, there's no, there, no, there is no reason. Also, for, she has spy training. Right. She's she's a former. She could mentor show. him if we're gonna do anything. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense if they introduced a new woman character or made Anya a little older to do to have that mentorship. To me, to me, I think it's it's essential if you're going to do that. Or even the teen, I think the teen sidekick is 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 kind of essential because we do have a lot of young female readers, thanks to comics being more mainstream and more accepted over the last decade. I think it's I think it's really. To me, I think it's a really important aspect to have her be a teen and not be, you know, a woman. Yeah, I think um, because I think storytelling-wise, you you develop into a woman. You can tell that story, that growth of discovery. One I think that's another option. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, regressing, I guess. Well, I was going to say dying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or sex change. Whatever comes oh. about. Hey, um, yeah, all inclusive. There's somebody else that needs representation. Um, I think. The teen hero has always been popular. Um, you say Spider-Man was the last. He was the first. Um, there were sidekicks before Spider-Man, but he was the first real teen hero. And okay. I think he uh, proved how popular that was and how interesting that was to people. And so there's been plenty of that over the years. And, you know, you have a perennial popularity there. Look at, as Zach mentioned earlier, the Young Avengers. I think they have to be done right I think there is, I think there's a right way to market a teen hero and a wrong way, and I think both Spider Girls have had, sadly, a healthy dose of the wrong way. Um, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I mean, well, you, you talked. Hold on, um, yeah. I, th- I think what you're what you're really looking for there is something, especially for the young readers, to look up to as I could be this. You know, that's what. That's what people said when Robin was introduced, you know, like, I couldn't, I could look up to Batman, I couldn't be Batman, I could be Robin. And then people said the same thing about Spider-Man, you know, I don't have to be a sidekick, I can be a hero. And so that's an important thing. And I'm going to go back into representation with girls. Uh, It's very important for girls to have that, you know, it's not just boys my age that can be heroes, so can I. I think the the important thing, though, is when you're doing this kind of every man, every girl, high school story, um, like Ultimate Spider-Man did so well with the high school story, <laughs> both Spider-Girls have not done it well. There's not a realism to the teenage dialogue in either of these books. There's not a realism to the teenage situations in either of these books. There's not. Uh, there's just not a realism to... 
the teenage high school aspect in either of these Spider-Girl books. And I think that is something that either one of them would really need to address if relaunched. And frankly, with the writer. um, I will disagree. I think DeFalco tried. Oh, I I think I said this earlier. Tried does not mean succeeded. Um, I I give him good intentions. I give him all the good intentions, but that doesn't mean it worked. Same thing with Paul um, Tobin. I'm, I'm... I know he tried. I mean, I I know all of the comic book writers that you've ever read, honest to God, were trying their best. Um, they were really trying their Morbius. best to tell the story. Um, he was. You know, I disagree with it. I thought it sucked. But but he tried his best. And But just because you tried your best doesn't mean it worked. I know he was trying to really pull off the teenage thing with the Twitter and whatnot, but to me, it read like an old white man trying to 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 figure out what the teens do. And that is the last thing you want to read like when you're actually trying to appeal to teens. You need to get somebody that understands it. And there are adult writers that understand it. Brian Michael Bendis, you know, hell, there's another older white dude, but his ultimate he also Spider-Man has a daughter, work. But... Yes, he he has several. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, his his ultimate Spider Man work proves that he seems to get it. Uh Kieran Gillen, thirty something white man, gets it. You know, it can be done. These two just didn't, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I um, and I, I have to ask our moderator because I mean, hell, she is a female and she is a comic reader and she, I mean, <laughs> you, you've, you've gone through this process of, of reading these, reading these books. What would be a Spider Girl book? I'm going to turn it completely on you now. What would be a Spider Girl book that would attract you as a reader, as a female reader? Uh, what. <laughs> It's hard for me now because I'm so like disconnected from Spider-Man. It's it's been a long time since I've read him. I read old stuff now, and that's really where my my heart is. Um, it's uh, gosh, I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it's got to be something like the the Steph Brown Batgirl series for me. Uh, it's got to be witty and smart, and I think that she's got to have connections not only with other members of her family, uh, as in like the Spider-Man family, I think, um, but connections with other heroes so that there can be some team-ups and everything because I think that's where you really see that character grow. So Spider-Girl with, um, I think she worked with Ricky Barnes at one point, right, this Spider-Girl, so Anya. So I think you're able to see different aspects of a particular character depending on with whom they are working and vice versa because if I were to bring in Stephanie Brown, Stephanie Brown was certainly able, I think, to change the Damian Wayne character from a little jerk into someone who's sort of learning about the world and almost becoming tolerable. So having something like that happen is, uh, I think, just really wonderful. Wonderful. But, you know, uh, I'm sad to hear that they killed off her father in the... um, in the in the first issue, it seems to me like that was a cry um, of we need to make it Peter Parker all the way and, and have that tragedy right there. Uh, I think it's always good to have a parental relationship, and that's something that I love in, in the Mike Babs and um, Jim Gordon. That's my favorite relationship. And, yes, Veronica Mars. I love Veronica Mars. And her and Keith, no, it wouldn't be the same without that. Uh, so I think it doesn't have to be dark. I don't know what Spider-Man the tone is like now. Uh, it seems like you guys are enjoying it. I don't know if it's dark or not, though. It, it got pretty dark with with. Oh. The oh, we're in the middle of a big Superior change, Spider-Man. though. Superior okay. Yeah, we, we are about to relaunch. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 
we're, we're, we don't know what to expect with Peter Parker going so forward. But, yeah. yeah, basically with Peter Parker returning, the sun just came out. Yeah, <laughs> I think, um, I mean, if you're having a youthful character, I think the tone of the book needs to reflect that youth. When you have an older person, with age comes a lot of issues and a lot of problems, and I think that's why, you know, yes, we do have darker tones because they're dealing with things that kids aren't necessarily dealing with. And I think, um, so yeah, fun, witty, teaming up with people, um, having a good connection with other heroes and members of their own family. That, that is what I would look for in a spider girl book. Uh, The description was, was what Anya can do and Mayday never can. So I, I, Find slamming the gavel and saying debate over. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to counterpoint that. May never do that. I don't know. Yeah, May, May did do that. May. She did interact with with other heroes. She did have. It was a fun, witty book. You're talking so, about though all of the heroes that you, that she can ever touch base with are people that were created for her own book. She can never, ever, 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 ever cross over with heroes that you enjoy from another book, like Damian Wayne to Batgirl, or Tim Drake coming in and guest starring there, um, Supergirl coming in and guest starring in Batgirl, which was always a highlight. None of that can ever happen with Mayday. She can only ever interact with heroes that are specifically created for her book, which completely undermines what Stella was describing. Uh, and, you know, you're going to talk no, about... I, I... You're going to talk about interacting with her family, her family of heroes, Anya can interact with the entire Spider-Man family, whereas Mayday can't with any of them, unless you're going to talk about the old age versions. Okay, fair enough. But I, my, my point is is that there is the fun, witty aspect. There are, there are elements that she could like in that Spider-Girl book that I'm saying were present in the Mayday book. My point. I think she almost described <laughs> Anya to a T, though. Um, I'll, I'll admit that it was... Unfortunately, too dark for those eight issues, but all you have to do is look at Avengers Assemble to see that she can move on. Um, I, you right. know, if we're talking about the next launch, which one would she pick up, which I believe is what your question was, um, yeah, it wouldn't have to have the darkness of this uh, unfortunate volume. I mean, and this, this is the thing. I'm arguing for a character here, but unfortunately with the handicap that her book was not that good. The character is good. The character is solid. The character has promise and can have a better book. But, yeah, the problem is this book just wasn't right. And I think if it was launched today in the you know comic book reading climate that we have right now and with a different writer with different ideas for the book, Brian Q. Miller, for example, would be perfect. Uh, I, I think the book could actually do really well and make it well beyond eight issues. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If Brian Q. Q. Miller was writing an, an Aranya book, I would pick it up tomorrow. Um, there you go. I, yeah, but you know, she brings it up in Brian the Q- Stephanie Miller or Stephanie Miller, Stephanie Brown Batgirl book um, was exactly the kind of thing I was hoping for from the Spider Girl book, but sadly, it did not make it there. <laughs> and I think Brian, if you give Brian Q. Miller Mayday Parker, I think he he's one of those writers that he could easily do something with either one. No argument. And that's my point. So I think I think But I think, I think both same side. given the same writer, um I, I think Anya would do better in the sales. I th- I think that's something you're not gonna get around. I think in the end I, Mayday you know is just too marginalized in her own little world that has gotten to a point that it's almost impossible to sell to a new reader. 
It, it you know it, it, uh, one thing that I, I'll say about this debate it's hard for me to try to because there's I feel like that there's a point there's a part of me that feels like I would love to see Spider Girl back I'm really I, you know the Spider Verse storyline I am happy to see that Mayday's there I'm happy to see that Ben Riley's there I'm happy to see Scarlet Spider's there I'm happy to see that uh, other characters such as Miles Morales and 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 twenty ninety nine and and you know, all these other alternate universe characters all coming together for this insurmountable threat. I like that aspect. And it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, you got all the Spider-Womans, Spider-Womans, Spider-Women, and Spider-Girls, and you got, I mean, even Spider-Girl, the original Spider-Girl, which was Betty Brandt, yeah. which makes up... Uh, yeah, I just, I wonder... Makes, Tony Gold, considering this is, you know, one story arc, so we're talking probably like six issues, uh, I wonder how much we should really expect from it with this incredible amount of spider characters like how much interaction are we really going to get you know how much of what we want are we going to see so I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much on the kind of stuff you're talking about but it would definitely be nice you know and and so there's a potential to see these characters cross over and and, and interact and it'll be be interesting to see how Slot handles it because the expectations are across spider fandom are going to be high oh yeah I mean, to I be mean, perfectly frank with you, the announcement of the Spider-Verse story is what kept me from dropping the book. I was yeah. thinking about just leaving after, you know, I'll read Amazing Spider-Man number one, but I'm kind of burnt out. But, you know, the the announcement of Spider-Verse genuinely excited me, so I'm sticking around. Right. Um, I'll be honest. It, it's it's going to – I think this is a great debate. <laughs> but, um <laughs> I, I think I think we've brought both brought some points to the table. I think we both got into the history of the character. We both both I think I, I think we'll you know I don't I, we could say you won, okay? Um, no, I mean because I mean because you you did bring a lot of valid points to the table, and I think I think as a character, one of the things I, I do have a hard time with with Mayday is that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end, really with Mayday, and as much as it saddens me that there was an end, there was an end, so. You know, with with Anya, there is a lot of potential there because she is. I mean, there, and and the pluses and minuses. There are some things that that Mayday as as a whole is hard to overcome. Things like her being in her own universe. It's the best and worst thing about Mayday. Um, just sometimes, like the best and worst thing about Defalco being the writer. It's great that you know there's been this one consistent vision. At the same time, there hasn't been room for any other vision. And so, um, you know, maybe it's just a case of. You need to wait longer for the nostalgia to come around. You know, Spider-Man 2099 right. is a character that I love, who has sort of his own universe, even though there were other books involved. But, you know, he's somebody in the future. Um, he only got 42, I think, 41, 42 issues, yeah. compared to Mayday's 135 or so. And, you know, we're about 10 years later now, and we're actually getting a new book by the original writer. Right, it's pretty I mean, amazing. It, so you never know what's yeah. gonna happen, but it just might I'll not be, be the you. right time for a while. Right, and I'll be honest with you, straight up. Think about when we started the show in 2009, about where Clone Saga Chronicles was, how marginalized the Clone Saga was, how how reviled sometimes the Clone Saga was. Mm-hmm. We've gotten a miniseries from Defalco and, and Mackey. We've gotten every, nearly every single issue of the Clone Saga, and I say nearly because there was some some stuff that was. Omitted, but it was very, very small, minute. Uh, we we had some of uh, some of the most comprehensive books I've ever read in terms of an era of Spider-Man. Not from that's not Lee Ditko. 
Um, we got all those collected in trade paperback. We've gotten uh, a Scarlet Spider ongoing title. Yeah. Um, that lasted two years. I mean, there, there's so much that's happened just in the terms of nostalgia's sake. So you're right. I mean, it, eventually, you know, yeah, you yeah, the people in charge. They were they were fans of the '70s and, and late '70s, mid to late '70s. Eventually, those mid to late '80s fans are going to come in and they're going to have their nostalgia. The the '90s fans are going to get their turn. It's just going to happen. So so. There could be a Mayday Parker. Somebody, somebody may have the, the def, a, a new definitive Mayday Parker story or a new definitive Anya story, and they're going to take it and run with it. We just don't know. So I think we've I think we've done a lot to try to highlight the pluses of each character and where it didn't work. So I think in that regard, I think this was this was a great debate about you know you know what this is a good character. Where did it not work? I think I think I think we were both more than fair. Yeah, I, I think to we each were both character. honest with. Uh you know, detractions from our own sides, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. So I, I tried to, I try when I came into this, I tried to be as, I think you were the same way, Kevin. And I was really appreciative of Stella kind of letting us kind of free flow to have, have our points and, and let us, let us just kind of give our thoughts and our feelings. And I, I think, I think that this is a great, because I think there's a lot of nostalgia on this website with, with, the crew that I've got about Spider Girl, and we are working on a podcast starring Spider Girl. So, you know, hopefully this entices you. And even even if 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 you don't like Mayday Parker, hopefully this is this entices you to say, hey, I want to check out the Spider Girl book just to kind of get to know the character. And it clearly it seems like that there's some ongoing plans with the Avengers Assembled. I, that was the one. That was the one appearance I didn't read. Naturally, well, unfortunately, that that book was canceled. So there's no there's no telling where uh, well, Spider Girl will it, show up next. Right, and, and part of the problem with that book was is that it was kind of redundant. It was um, a it was a weird entity. It went, yeah, it went from it being was, a book of Bendis writing the movie team to just. Kelly Sue DeConnick's Avengers team, <laughs> um, which was yeah. good. I liked I liked her run, but uh, it, it was it was a strange thing to define, and that makes it hard to sell. Yeah, especially when you've got Hickman doing his his Avengers epics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I, actually, I think I enjoyed this debate better because, as I said at the beginning, on our first great debate, I very much went into it, um, you know, with the the perspective of this is my uh, this is my perspective that I've been given to defend, so I'm going to defend it until the bitter freaking end. Because, um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I I've, think... I've done actual, you know, public debate before, and that's what you have to do. You take a position, and even if you don't agree with what you're saying, you argue for that position. So that's what I did last time. Um, and this time I decided to go into it just a little bit more honest and just have a real discussion and uh, and conversation and debate about it. So I, I think I like this one better because it was full of more of my own actual thoughts and opinions. Yeah, I like I like this one better because one, I didn't get my butt kicked, um, <laughs> and and two, I, you're right, it was a discussion, and and there's so many other topics we could have spun into, and there was one that we actually discussed that I was I was hoping to get to, but we really, we kind of touched upon it a little bit, but but. I really did. Enjoy, I did enjoy this debate because because it's a, it's a conversation. It's not, and, and that's too many times. It seems like we get we get in these internet flame wars, and 
uh, you know, the Molotov cocktails of, of what they think are thrown across the room at each other. And it, it sometimes it just gets bitter. And, and I think having a conversation between two friends about, about uh, a legitimate character set of characters that are both going to be appearing in, in November, yeah. even if it's one panel, they're both going to be, it, it's topical. So and, you're right about the, just, you know, flaming sort of thing. And that's, it's one thing I've said multiple times here, and I want to get across to the Spider-Girl fans listening to this show. I have tremendous respect for the Spider-Girl fandom. I really do. Um, they, they've accomplished amazing things, and you know we might not have the same love for that character, but I like her. You know, <laughs> I'm right. not rabid, well, but I like her. But you know, I'd, I I just disagree with uh, the venom that was slung to this character when she started and I I respect those fans but I would like to see their minds a little bit more open. Right. So we've I think we've we've patted ourselves on the back enough for the debate we just had. Uh <laughs> Stella yeah, you have I, any uh, final thoughts yeah. on this whole thing? Final thoughts. Um well it's great to be surrounded by men again. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, these two, you know, two of my favorite uh, Spidey guys. No, and, you know, as a, a moderator, you know, I don't know, who knows? It was my first one, so who knows if I did a good job. But um, I thought you did great. I just, I, I learned a great deal, and, and I think uh, the audience will as well. I, I mean, I'm sure they already know a great deal about Spider-Girl, but I think both sides were, were equally represented, and, and uh, yeah, it was a good, clean fight. <laughs> There was no blood that was spilled. On nope. This and I, I just got to say, um, Kevin, I've already extended this invitation out to you. Um, you guys both are welcome back. Stella, you are welcome back anytime oh, on either thanks. one of the shows. Uh, I've always, when Kevin approached me with this whole thing, I I tell you, it was one of the, there's been a litany of stuff that I've been checking, mark, checking off. It means Spectacular Radio this year was one of them. This was one thing that I was super excited for uh, to bring you two on to have this uh, have this discussion this conversation and um, so I I the, some of my favorite moments of podcasting have been with these two people and not to say that I haven't had favorite moments with the with the other three that are na- usually on this show but uh, for a bit of this podcasting nostalgia it was nice to have the both of you guys on and to hear your voices again so I do appreciate you. It was very nice yeah. to, to be here with you and with Stella. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, we'll be getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. I will say this, uh, a couple of announcements, because by the time this comes out, these will already been announced, but I'm going to announce them on the show. Anyway, uh, we'll, we're, we are doing a series of specials here on Clone Saga Chronicles doing, dealing with the 90 show. Uh, Donovan's going to be hosting that, and we're going to—he's going to pick five episodes per season, and we're going to do a commentary of each of those five episodes. So I'm very excited about that. So you're going to be seeing a little bit more of that. It'll all be on the CSC feed, just like this one. It may not necessarily be related to the Clone Saga, but we're going to have all that on the CSC feed. And of course, check out Spectacular Radio because I have not had more fun podcasting and learning so much about how a show works as I have, and had such an overwhelming response than I have with uh, with Greg and Greg Wiseman and everybody and Jennifer, Jennifer Anderson and, and Jesse and Gerard. So I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, of course, come back here. We're, we are beginning the march. We are to the Ben Riley era here on Clone Saga Chronicles, so stay tuned. we got a lot coming at you over the next six months. And uh, this was one of 
like I say, one of my favorite episodes. So I appreciate you being on, and we'll see you next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles, a Spidey-Dude.com production. You know, Apple's always been infamous for that one more thing. <laughs> but uh, there was something I wanted to kind of address since um, it was sent to us, and it was something a bit different, and I wanted to acknowledge a couple of things. Two things. Uh, one, um, we got a message from uh, from one of our listeners on Facebook. You can actually send us a message on our Facebook page, and we will read it if uh, if it's you know for us. So um, that message on our Facebook page came a couple of days ago. Um, now, if you haven't been to the Facebook page, it's really simple. Spidey-Dude.com, colon, Home of the Clone Saga Chronicles and Spectacular Radio. I know Mayday Mondays is not on there, and I've tried to fix that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> because we've gotten so many new likes because of the new show, it's prevented us from fixing it. Uh, but, uh, Fog, or Frog, Frog Goat, Frog Goat. I don't know if I'm saying your name wrong or whatever, but I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, To the wonderful Clone Saga Chronicles, I absolutely love the podcast. It's great to hear such enthusiasm as well as honesty about one of the most controversial stories in Spidey history. He does have a few questions, but that's okay. One, will the game be covering the un- upcoming Spider-Verse event? As I understand, Kanan and Riley will make appearances. Yes. Um, it will. We're going to talk about this next time I get the gang together uh, of Josh and Don and myself and... Gerard. Um, so it'll be a couple of episodes down the road when we discuss this a little bit more in detail. But yes, we are gonna. We, I, I do plan on at least acknowledging it. Uh, number two, I've, I've been dying to learn more about Mayday Mondays. Will there be a regular podcast? Who's involved? Who be record? Will it be a recurring motif of Stalker in the Shadows? Be lampooned mercilessly. He thanks us for our time. Okay, so um, if you haven't been to Spidey-Dude.com lately, um, uh, as of the day that this is being released, which is on a Tuesday instead of Friday. I know I announced it on Friday when I posted it on Facebook. But um, Mayday Mondays is an ongoing show. And it'll be hosted by Gerard. And um, Jason, our old friend Jason, he's, he's on the pilot episode with me, and Gerard. So, um, yeah, so check that out and download it, download it away. We've got a lot of new stuff coming down the pike, so it will be a, a further enhancement of our show uh, and our website, so I'm very excited to have that on. So, um, a couple other things I do want to acknowledge: somebody that actually talked about us on Twitter, and uh, he actually said something on our pod on his podcast. He was covering the um, the spectacular annual that dealt with uh, Joyce Delaney and the High Evolutionary, and um, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. I know we keep going back to the High Evolutionary. It seems like every time I've there's been an episode since we posted this. We've mentioned the High Evolutionary, but uh... Uh, it's called Mark's Mess Podcasts. Um, he uh, talked about us at the end of his show. It's about ten minutes long. It's a it's a basically a recap of that and his thoughts on that particular storyline uh, in Spectacular Annual. So I just wanted to acknowledge he actually uh, posted uh, about this month of May. So uh, just excited to have um, somebody talk about us not it's not crawl space related so i uh, appreciate the shout out appreciate the plug and uh you can follow him on twitter at mark's mess podcast with no t <laughs> uh it's mark's mess p-o-d-c-a-s um just look up mark's mess podcasts and you'll be able to find it there on twitter so um also want to acknowledge doc spidey 
he uh, he finished downloading all the episodes of Clone Saga Chronicles and he's caught up. Um, uh, yeah, his name's Sm- Scott McElroy. He's been um, a guy that's been a follower of us on Twitter, and he says he says he loves the show and that you guys bring back really cool memories. So uh, appreciate um because <laughs> he took him three years. After almost three years, he's finally caught up with listening to all the Clone Saga Chronicles episodes. So you can follow us on Twitter at Clone Saga Chronicles. You can follow us on Facebook at the Facebook page Spidey-Dude.com, the home of Spectacular Radio and Clone Saga Chronicles. You can follow and now Mayday Mondays. Um, you can also email us at Clone Chronicles gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail like uh, the emails and voicemails we got at the beginning of the episode at uh, 818-925-6631. That's 818-9-CLONE-1, for those of you that like to spell things out numerically. So, with uh, that, um, we will see everyone next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles Podcast. We're going to be covering The Night of the Lizard. That's right, our very special episode um, covering the tw- celebrating the 20th anniversary of the 1994 Spider-Man animated series is coming your way. So we'll see you next time here on Clone Saga Chronicles, the podcast, part of the Spidey-Dude.com network of podcasts. 